Meet Boston Blackie. Outside the law is no strange territory to Blackie, but never does he stray for personal reward. Although the police, and notably Inspector Faraday, find no solace in his motives and only bewilderment in his ability to remain out of their reach. Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend to those who have no friend. Time now for Rocky Jordan. Rocky Jordan is presented from Columbia Square in Hollywood and stars Jack Moyles in the title role. It's not that I ever objected to publicity about me or my cafe tambourine appearing in the Cairo newspapers, but this particular item I didn't like. It said, Captain Sam Sabaya of the Cairo police announced today that the body found floating in the Nile last night has definitely been identified as that of the local cafe owner, Rocky Jordan. The news came as something of a shock. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. What number have I got? Sam Spade, Detective Oh, oh, well, me, sweetheart. Effie, F. This is me in the flesh, Sammy the Spade. Oh, now what? Goodbye. Effie, I'm in a payphone. My nickel is running out. Oh, Dwight, how can you be so cruel and play broke with a tie right there? Wait, wait, listen. Are you listening? Yes. I am not dead. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. Hello, Craig speaking. My transcription, Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator, starring William Gargan. <laughs> hey everyone, this is OTR Rod, still playing catch-up. <laughs> and I probably am not going to. I don't know. I, it's been a struggle this time. I'm getting older now, so it's really kind of hard to kind of double up and triple up on shows in one week. I'm trying, but I, I'm, not cat, I'm not catching, I'm not caught up. <laughs> and I can't talk either. But... One thing is good, and that is that I'm starting to get over this, whatever this is that I've been having since the summer, this what I call summer cold or Rivas XXXO. I don't know what it is exactly, but I tell you, I've been trying to get rid of this cold for several months now, and it's just driving me nuts, but finally I think it's breaking, and for what reason, I don't know why. Anyway... So, welcome to Noir Mysteries and the adventures, or the, should I say, the new adventures of Sam Spade, Private Detective. And this episode is from February 9th, 1951. The episode is entitled The Sure Thing Caper, and if you might have guessed it, if it's not boxing, it's horse racing, and that's what it is. <laughs> so after that is Rocky Jordan, not about horse racing, from 1949, September 11th, and the title of the episode is, is Adventure with Andrea. Now, I don't know about you guys, every time I've met a woman named 
Andrea, they've been very exotic looking, stunningly beautiful, stunningly well-dressed, stunningly made up. Everything about them is graceful, beautiful, sexy, and they have that name, Andrea, and it just rings so well, and I've never seen an Andrea that was not attracted. Maybe you have, but I've got some years on a couple of you, so I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> after Rocky Jordan is Boston and Blackie from December 5th, 1945, The Master's Diamond. I thought it was about diamonds with Blackie. I don't know why. And then the new adventures of Michael Shane from December 19th, 1949. And the episode is entitled Hate That Killed. And then Barry Craig, confidential investigator, will probably go before the new adventures of Michael Shane, come to think of it. Anyway, Barry Craig, confidential investigator, comes from 1951. October 31st, Halloween. I almost made it to the show. I almost made it to Halloween. I missed it by four days. And this episode is from 1951, December 31st, like I said. Corpse on Delivery. Now, you know, I've had a, taken a lot of takeout. And not so much the takeout, but some of the people delivering the takeout could have been zombies trying to earn a few bucks here and there. It's just my thought. I don't know. Let me know if you think that anyone that's delivered food to your door looked a little bit like a zombie. Anyway, enjoy all these episodes, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, the creeks don't rise. Wear your mask, social distance, get your shots, get your booster, and we just might get back to normal soon. Who knows? The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Sam, a man named $5 Frankie called up and said he's putting $2 in your name on a sure thing at some track or other. Well, that's nice to hear. I don't think it is at all. You know I don't approve of your gambling, Sam. Effie, you do some things I disapprove of, but do I snipe at you? Well, no, but... No buts about it. And besides, I didn't place the bet. It was placed for me. I don't care. It's the principle of the thing I don't like. Well, suppose I put it this way, Effie. That $2 bet on a sure thing was more than just a money bet. It was a gamble on the inherent goodness of the human soul. Oh, Sam, you're just trying to confuse me. I am. But I'll straighten everything out to your satisfaction, I trust, when I appear at the office with a highly stylized and rather charming saga of horse players and the world they live in. What else but the sure thing caper? For NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer, director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. you always are at the wages I pay you. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, Sam. When I pay them. I don't want to start an argument, but I do need some new clothes. Oh? You want me to put up a, a good front, don't you? I will rephrase my answer. Yes. Well? Effie, if you can hold Warp and Wolf together for a few weeks, I have a feeling we'll be rolling in dough, driving big cars and wearing mink. Oh, you mean that bet. 
all conjecture. Enough of your sneering. May you hear me out. Weigh the evidence and maybe you'll feel differently. I doubt it. No good comes of playing the horses. Date, fill it in. Two $5 Frankie, care of... Uh... Sam, wait a minute now. Hmm? $5 Frankie what? What's his last name? I don't think he has one, F. As I get it, he was born just before a gold cup handicap at Pimlico, and they didn't have time to give him a last name and place a bet, too. So they chose the bet. Oh, Sam, that's awful. What do you mean, awful? That horse paid 18 to 1. Well... Well, to get on, two $5 Frankie, care of Patterson Smoke Shop, Myrtle Street City, from Samuel Sucker Spade, San Francisco, license number 137596. Subject, the sure thing, caper. Dear $5 Frankie, for you to be seen at the hour of 1 p.m. post-time anywhere but at the track is truly a veritable, unbelievable occurrence. So when my door pivoted open Monday at said hour and a short gent with 36 shoulders and a 44 long plaid coat came in, my eyes told me it was you, but my mind screamed, no. I checked your wide brim pork pie, your zoot gabardine slacks, suede and alligator wingtip shoes, and it still repeated, you, you, you. Sammy, do not look as if you have just lamped a ghost. It is I. $5, Frankie. But at this hour, Frankie, what is it? Your watch broken? Did you lose your way? You sleepwalking? What? No, Sam. I am in complete possession of my faculties. Good. And I came here with the full knowledge of my intellect. Uh-huh. I even see through the crystal of my timepiece that it is one o'clock, the hour from which they break from the barrier. That's right. But I have not been drinking, and as far as sleepwalking, that is strictly for gents with unhappy marital relationships. All right, Frankie, I'm forced to agree with you that you're standing in front of me instead of the $5 window. Now, what's the dope? Well, ordinarily, I do not resort to hiring a strong arm to consummate my business dealings. Naturally. There being a full supply of such muscles lying around the back room of Patterson's smoke shop. Loose. But when the job calls for both tact and muscle... I am forced to roam far abroad in search of the same. You mean you have a job for me? A real honest to see this good job that'll pay money? Well, with the ordinary Seamus, I might try to offer a little paddock chatter, you know? Yes. But with you, Sammy, with you, I will tender coin of the realm. Good. I will pay you, of course, in five dollar bills, as is my wont. In advance? Ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. Ten times five. Figures. Now, do you veritably consider yourself in my employ? I am veritably in the race, Frankie. Good. Now, Sammy, leave it to be understood by both parties that I am not touting you off on any sour deals. Uh A rather curious situation has arisen, and I will explain it to you candidly, as they say in certain novels which I have not read. Well, most novels lose so much in the translation. True, true. Yes. My narrative begins yesterday, to be exact. Uh Yesterday, their heels and toes into the back room of Patterson's smoke shop, a gent whose face was once as familiar to me as my own. By name, said gent... They call him Gentle Joe Higgins. Gentle Joe. Yeah, a horse trainer by profession, Uh which in our civilized society stands second only to jockeys in importance. Granted, granted, no argument. Well, I say to Gentle Joe, it has been some time, Gentle Joe, since I see you around and about. Uh And he says, I have gave up the old life for the new, Uh as I no longer am welcome at the track since a certain embarrassing incident five years ago. What incident was that, Frankie? A horse doping job, the illegal type, which... uh, depresses me to relate. Mm -hmm. So I will not. Ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gentle Joe looks a little worse for the wear. His clothing being literally shabby. Mm -hmm. Oh, I figure a touch. And I am preparing a story that will wring tears from a tax collector even. But? But Gentle Joe does not mention the word touch. Uh Uh-huh. Instead, he announces he has a sure thing. Uh 
Sammy, you know how those words do to a horse player. It's like throwing a bale of catnip to a lion. Oh, my arteries open to let the blood through faster. My, 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 my nerves give off loud ringing noises, and my mind is already computing. Of course. Well, before I can stop myself, I have pressed 500 rocks in Gentle Joe's hand, begging him to place them on the same sure thing. I'd have done the same thing under the circumstances. Of course. But Gentle Joe says it will take at least 1,500 rocks to pull off the deal. Oh. He further advises me that the horse in question is due to retain 20 rocks to one. So you gave him the other thousand? Well, not having it in my genes at the time, I cut two other business and professional friends in on the grave. Mm-hmm. Dinosaur Torelli and Bones Moulton. Five bills apiece. And then? Gentle Joe rushes out of Patterson's and... Has never been heard from again. A sad tale. You think he just stole the money? Sam, gentle Joe Higgins is a horse player, not a common sneak thief. I'm sorry, sorry. But uh, did he leave town? He did not. On the advice of certain informers, I tracked this gentle Joe to a ramble shack or rooming house on Clark Street. Uh, 241 to be exact. And? And there the trail gets very cold, very cold indeed. He's made his move, huh? No, 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 but... He had a landlady who would not let me in. Complicated. Oh, she is a frightening person to behold. Hmm? She is indeed half wildcat and half witch. I'll deal with her. Good, good. And uh, tell Gentle Joe that I am not an overly suspicious person, but uh, also relate to him my position. Hmm? Uh-huh. Dinosaur Torelli and Bones Moulton are two such gents as it is wise not to cross. Rough. Back fence gossip has it they are the undertaker's best friends. Well... Indeed, it is also rumored they are behind their quota for the month. Well, oh, and uh, Sam. Yeah? At Bay Meadows. Yeah? A bad card. Nothing going today. Oh. In preparation for my meeting with this redoubtable landlady, I ran through my repertoire of low, mean faces in front of the mirror, leaving smoking holes in the glass. And then I stamped out, heading for the rooming house on Clark Street. 241, to be exact. My knock was answered by... Well, it was even worse than you told me. She was gumming a sen-sen. What are you standing there for? You're shaking my geraniums. Oh, no. Well, sir... Speak up, speak up, Curly. I ain't got all day. Madam, perchance do you house in this quaint colonial inn a fine old gentleman called Gentle Joe Higgins? You the lord? No, I'm in business for myself. See this? Oh, one thing I hate worse than the law is private detectives. Hmm. Can't trust them. Nope. Cheap. Never have any money. Hey, look. Never want to pay anything. Hey, Always want something for nothing. Hey, you. A surly, no good lot of pocket pickers who should all be boiled in oil right, and sir. thrown in a pit full of snarling. Now, one moment, madam. Madam, look at this. Oh, yeah. well. <laughs> That's kind of crinkling I'd like to hear. I thought you would. <laughs> Wouldn't mind having a mattress to pull of that green paper. <laughs> it is a pleasure, distinctly, to be able to present it to such a charming, witty, and gay woman, I guess, as yourself. Now, uh... Come in, come in, bright eyes. Yes. Now, uh, where did you say Gentle Joe could be located? Second door to the left. Thank you, kindly. Only he ain't in. Going up somewhere, yes. Your timing, madam, and I should add Defarge, was a little sadistic. Now, give me my five back. You ain't heard my proposition yet. I've heard enough. Madam, you have acted in a very hateful manner. <laughs> Another five, I'll let you wait in his room. Madam, you are a Dresden doll, <laughs> no matter what anybody says. Can the tailor wave your locks and let's go. <laughs> let's have a ball. 
Once in Gentle Joe's room, I closed the door, thus separating myself from that skid row bankhead. While I was waiting, I cased the room. Spartan. A bed, a chair, a dresser, a racing form. Some worn clothes, various mementos and pictures of his better days at the track. I was studying an old print of equipoise when Gentle Joe turned up. <laughs> yes, he was a great stretch runner, wasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed. A mile and 141 and fifth, and hardly damp at the end. Well, I, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Now, don't, yes. don't look upset, Mr. Spade. Hmm? Fanny, Fanny told me that you were a detective waiting for her. Oh, she's a swell kid. Yeah, yeah, Fanny's impetuous, but a good sort, yeah. <laughs> Keeps the right people out and lets the wrong ones in. <laughs> Fine judge of character. No, you're generous, sir. I'm uh, about to have a cup of tea. Will you join me? Be delighted. I'll, uh, just take the water out of the tap. <laughs> it's hot enough. <laughs> well, well, gentle Joe, I'm, uh... I'm here on a rather painful mission. How in goes the tea? Uh, $5 Frankie thinks you caged him out of $1,500. And now for the water. And uh, two tough friends of his are looking for your scalp. Yeah, there we are. Uh. Now we'll just let that steep a while and we'll have us a pickup. Did you hear anything I said? Well, of course, Mr. Smith, of course. Every word. I know why you're here. Those men are worried about their money. Yeah. But uh, next time you see them, you tell them not to worry. Well, they said uh, this sure thing of yours was going to return 20 to 1 odds. That's a lot of money. Oh, it will. It will. All of that. Maybe even many times more. Yeah, yes, it's a sure thing. You mean the race hasn't been run off yet? Yeah, there we are now. I think the tea should be ready. Well, mm-hmm. Now, this is yours. Thank you. And this is mine. Huh? Ah. <clears throat> ah, a Darjeeling flowering pico. There's no finer tea. Has an almond flavor. Yes, it's peculiar to the region, mm-hmm. especially pronounced in last year's crop. Yes, well, um, shall we get back to business? Yes, now you tell those gentlemen that they have no need to fret about their money. It'll be returned to them many times over, many, many times over. <laughs> Are you feeling all right, Mr. Spain? Groggy, I They'll look back on this investment with considerable pleasure and pride. I don't know what And someday they'll be able to say that they, too... <laughs> Stupid Sam. Nobody had to give me a saliva test to guess what happened. That nice, sweet, gentle old man had doped me right up to the ears. I tried to stand up, but my legs were like two wet pieces of spaghetti, and I went down. Gentle Joe went right on talking and smiling until everything was nothing. When I came to, Joe was gone, and so was my faith in horse people. Fanny had made herself scarce, too, and I stumbled alone out into the daylight for resuscitation. It took walking, coffee, whiskey, and a bowl of raspberries to bring me around. I eventually found a safe haven in my own office. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Mr. Hangover speaking. Uh, Mr. Spade, this is Gentle Joe. What? Listen, you... Uh, I, I know, I know how upset you must be over my little deception. Little but, uh, deception? It was what? all to a good purpose, Mr. Spade. You see, I had to get out of there in a hurry with the minimum of discussion. I seem to remember you were hustled out of the racing game for doping a few three-year-olds. Well, that's what some people in official circles felt. But, Mr. Spade, I want to apologize to you and tell you that I will be able to explain everything to your satisfaction. No. No. Spade, a guy named Gentle Joe was calling me from here and something happened to him. Gentle Joe Higgins? That's what I said. 
Oh, I haven't seen him in two or three years. Now, look, don't give me that. He called from here. Now, where is he? Oh, look, Peter, will you, before I scream for the cops? All right, I'll look myself. Oh, I say you can't. Now, no. But I did. There were two phones inside the stable, both hanging on posts. The second one had the number the phone company had given me, and although someone had tried to cover it up with sawdust, on the floor, under the phone, were three tea bags, and somebody had done a lot of bleeding. Looked like Gentle Joe's parlay had run out. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music and mystery on NBC every Saturday night. For music tomorrow, your hit parade brings you the top tunes in the land as selected by you and presented by Raymond Scott's orchestra, Snooky Lanson and Eileen Wilson. For mystery tomorrow, Herbert Marshall stars as the man called X. In all the strange and far-off places of the world, wherever there is intrigue, danger, and romance, there you will find the man called X. Hear him tomorrow night. And now back to the sure thing caper Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade I colored the stable boy and questioned him about the blood under the phone And about what could have happened to gentle Joe Higgins Nothing he just wouldn't talk and he was too small to beat up So I went looking for the stable manager He lived in a small white house behind the exercise ring he wasn't too happy at being awakened, but when I explained things, he came down to the stable with me. I can't understand it, Mr. Spade. General Joe Higgins hasn't been around here for at least two years. That's what the boy told me. You see, for doping a horse once, he can't come near a track or a stable. We let him hang around here, the racing commission would find us. Well, he called from here and something happened to him. The number the phone company gave me matches up with one of your phones. There was a lot of blood on the floor, too. Well, here we are. Now, which phone was it? That one. All right, let's look at it. This is the phone, and here is the... Wait a minute. Come in here, you. Let go of me, you big... Now, tell Mr. Kemp here what was on the floor when I came in. Nothing. Nothing but sawdust. I tell you, there was blood there. No, no, honest, nothing. Mr. Spade, this boy's been with me for five years. He's perfectly reliable. Well, so am I. Well, what do you think happened? I think somebody used this old man for a punching bag. Maybe you'd better go home and sleep on it, Mr. Spade. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Look, don't humor me. Make this kid talk. Mr. Kemp, this guy's tappy. Danny... Are you certain there was no blood or no gentle Joe? Mr. Kemp, I'd swear on my father's grave if necessary. You see, Mr. Spade? I calmed down in a little while and searched the place myself. I came up with exactly nothing but an attack of hay fever and a horsey smell. And I suddenly wondered why I cared about gentle Joe at all after what he'd done to me. So I went home and called $5 Frankie. You say you have convice with Gentle Joe? Twice, and both under rather trying circumstances, Frankie. Once I was doped, and once something happened to him. Uh-huh. I take it he did not heed the message I employed you to convey. So far, he hasn't heeded anything. Ah, uh, then he is without a doubt in considerable trouble. I would say so. It seems that my business associates, Dinosaur Torelli and Bones Moulton, have blown their tops and gone looking for Gentle Joe with something special in mind. Mm -hmm. Something like assassination. I was afraid of that. Mayhaps they have already contacted Gentle Joe for an accounting. Certainly, mayhaps. I think they've already mowed him down. And there is nothing further for us to converse about, Sam. 
It is history, and it will be recorded thusly. Well, if you say so. And if I might tender a bit of advice, mm. I would say, hop into the Simmons, Sammy, and knock yourself off a few hours of that ever-loving forgetfulness. And when you arise, you will have erased from your mind the names of gentle Joe Higgins and yours truly $5 Frankie for some time to come. I was tired, and it seemed smart to take his advice. So I did. I went to bed. It must have been three in the morning when something woke me up. It was a ghost with a big white head tiptoeing into my room. The thought was so absurd that I turned over and started back to sleep. That's when the ghost touched me and I grabbed for him. Wait, hey, let me go, Mr. Spade. Let me go. It's me, Gentle Joe. Will I turn on a light? <laughs> of course, I look a little different. The bandages around my head look like a turban. What happened to you? I was in Mr. Kemp's house when you were searching the stable. Stupid me. I should have come out then, but I didn't. Mm. And then I got to thinking I certainly owed you some kind of an explanation. So I found your address and came here. All right, I'll collect the explanation. Now, first, what was the dope for? Well, I was afraid you might take me back to $5 Frankie and his friends before I did what I had to do. Would you care to tell me what that was? I wanted to buy a horse. With their money? Yes, with their money. They thought you were betting it on a horse, a sure thing. I know, I know, but let me explain. I was thrown off the tracks for doping a horse. I needed money, but that's, that's another story. After five years, I could get my trainer's license back. Tell me more. Do you know what it is to love horse flesh and not be able to go near it for five years? No, the bangtail bug never got me. You can't con guys like Frankie and his thugs out of some money to buy a horse whenever you want one. There's more to the story. The horse I doped didn't get into the race. And the jockey had to ride another mount. He was thrown and killed. Well, it was too bad. I felt that I'd murdered the man. His name was Sandy Bean. Sandy Bean? That stable boy at Sunset Stables, any relative? His son. Oh. His wife and son ran out of money, and they've had a hard time of it. I've worked as a janitor for the past five years, trying to raise enough money to buy them a horse uh -huh. to help make up for what I did. How much did you save? Only $1,500. The horse I wanted, a two-year-old named Sure Thing, cost 3000 Well, things are beginning to clear up now. How did you figure you could take money from Frankie to buy it? Well, Frankie and his friends made a lot of money off Sandy Bean when he rode. I figured it wouldn't hurt them to pay a little of it back. Well, I don't think they'd see it that way. I wasn't stealing the money. I was going to give each of them a 10% of the horse. I, I didn't dare tell it until after I bought it. Uh-huh. Well, Gentle Joe, maybe they'll see the light, but I doubt it. I was going to take 10% for training her. Give the other 60 to Mrs. Bean and her son, Danny. He'll make a good jockey. And sure thing is a great horse. I know, I know. They'll make a lot of money off of it. It's a noble plan. Tomorrow my five years is up, and I wanted to give them the horse then. I see. Who wrapped you up when I was talking to you on the phone? Danny was backing a horse into the stable, and it got excited. It started kicking, and I was in the way. I thought maybe you'd been done in. I know. That's why I came to see you and explain things. Can you do anything to help me? Well, I... All right, everybody, huh? just stand where we are. There's no need to wave a gun around here. Get up, you. Gentle Joe, we've been looking for you around in a box. Now, now, dinosaur, now hey, look... Here I... all we wish to hear from you, Joe. Come along. Look, you're not going to take him out here without a fight. We wouldn't mind this at all, and as much as we come equipped with a little artillery... Bones. Bones, I didn't steal that money. Shut up. All man. right, all right, knock it off. You want some of the stamp? Yeah, if you think you can do it. <laughs> 
And it turned out they could. I knocked Torelli's gun aside, hit him with a hard left, and he didn't go down. I tried a right, then a knee, then a couple of elbows. And I was just getting ahead of the game when something hit me across the face and printed Code 45 on my forehead. I know this sounds repetitious, but I went out again. Honest, I did. Really. I'm sorry. Appropriately, it was dawn when I woke up cold and headachy. Of course, I was alone. Gentle Joe Higgins was the victim of a successful snatch, and I had an idea what might have happened to him. I dressed and started looking all over town, but I didn't have any luck, any. It wasn't until I was eating breakfast and met a police sergeant I know that I got a tip. Morning, Sam. Hello, Sergeant. What happened to you? I tried to kiss her. Ah, I didn't know they made those kind of dames anymore. Mind if I sit down? Pleasure. Yeah, we got a homicide this morning. Yeah, who? Who knows? Just an old man. Found him in the park. Somebody really worked him over. What do you look like? Ooh, 5'10", white hair, old clothes. Probably a bum. Where is he, Morgan? Yeah. Kelsey's putting a rundown on him now. Yeah, I'll see you later, Carter. Thanks. Hey, Sam. Haven't finished your breakfast. They let me in the morgue, and I took a look at the corpse. And once I saw it, I knew just where I had to go. I caught a cab out to the Sunset Stables. The horses were just having their rolled oats when I pulled in, and Danny Bean, the stable boy, was there, dressed in his cleanest Levi's. What do you want? Where's the show going to be? Uh, what show? Well, Gentle Joe gives you the horse. Isn't this the day? Okay, so you know. Mm-hmm. Gee, I'm sorry about last night, Mr. Spade. I had to keep it a secret. Forget it, forget it. You did the right thing. When's the ceremony? In about an hour, right here. You want to wait? Sure, sure. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Of course, I cheated a little. I didn't tell you who it was I saw in the morgue. The truth was, I didn't know. It wasn't gentle Joe Higgins, though. And so I reasoned thusly, if Torelli and Moulton didn't finish him off in the night, he must have gotten out of it somehow. He was a resourceful old man, and I was sure nothing short of death would keep him from presenting Danny with a horse on the day he planned. And I was right. An hour later, he came walking in, leading the prettiest chestnut mare I'd ever seen. There was a smile two feet wide on his face. And behind him, carrying blankets, a saddle, and riding colors, were who else? Five dollar Frankie, Dinosaur Torelli, and Bone Smoke. Well, well, Mr. Spade, this is a surprise. Well, it's a pleasant one. Yeah, this is sure thing. Oh, isn't she a beauty? She huh? is indeed. How'd you do it, Gentle Joe? Well, Mr. Spade, I uh, just invited them over to my place to have a cup of tea. You get it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While we was a half out, he explained the whole thing to us. Sounds like a good deal to me. We can win both ways on the track and at the window. Oh, look at the life of that horse. Just waiting to cross the finish line. Sammy boy, this is indeed a signal occasion. Huh? This is the first time I have ever been this close to a horse. Mm-hmm. And me being a horse player. Well, have you talked to her yet? Why, sure. I am already talking to Sure Thing and explain to her our financial position. Oh. She has assured me she will romp home first more times than not. Well, gentlemen, shall we do what we came here to do? Sure. Leave us make the present thing. Come on, come on. Let's get into business. Give huh? the animal to the kid already. I agree. Danny? Yes, Mr. Higgins? Danny, the four of us are giving you this horse, Sure Thing, in memory of your father, the late great... Sandy Bean. Thank you. Thank you, sir. She's a beauty, isn't she? I feel like I was just born. Ride her well, son. Ride her well. And I think he will. Period. End of report. 
so beautiful. A simple, old-fashioned type story, F. We feel we can use one now and then. And I'm glad nothing happened to anybody. Oh. Because I just love them all. Everything considered, F, they weren't half bad. Now, uh, how about typing it up? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music and fun in the air tomorrow evening, styled to suit your Saturday night of merriment. Dennis Day brings you songs and comedy in his charming boyish manner, and then Judy Canova gets together with her frolicsome friends for Mountain Melody and Mayhem, followed by Grand Ole Opry with singing MC Red Foley and his gang. It's a Saturday night of fun designed for you. <laughs> Say now. Mm-hmm. You've captured $5 Frankie's peculiar style. Perfect. And that wasn't easy. Oh, Sam, I was just thinking. Oh? We ought to contribute something along with everybody else. To that horse, you know, that sure thing. I probably will, Effie. A few dollars here, a few there, whenever it's running. Oh, I didn't mean betting. Oh. What I meant is, for example, it's, um, it's going to need a lot of hay, isn't it? Bales and bales. Well, my cousin Frisbee cuts our lawn. I'll have him save the grass and send it to the stable. Effie, you are a noble creature, but I think sure thing can get along without your little lawn. Well, I've seen horses wearing stockings. Couldn't I knit a pair? Two pair. Two pair. But, F, let's not lose our heads. $5 Frankie and his pals will take good care of sure thing. How about worrying about taking care of me? All right, Sam. Yes. Could you use some grass or... Some socks? Effie, knock off this horse talk, will you? We're almost at the wire now. People are just champing at the bit for the payoff. <laughs> All right, Sam. Let's finish neck and neck, huh? Hmm, why not? Come here, sure thing. <gasps> night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Wally Mayer was Gentle Joe. Script for tonight's adventure by John Michael Hayes. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. The fight against heart disease, the greatest killer in America, goes on with increased intensity. But doctors cannot wage this battle alone. They need your help for the eventual control of heart disease through research, education, and community heart programs. Give now to fight heart disease. Send your contribution to HEART, H-E-A-R-T, in care of your nearest post office. Join the magnificent Montague, then it's Duffy's Tavern on NBC. Buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you today by Del Monte Tomato Products. from the mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, 
crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story, Adventure with Andrea. about the earthquake in Ecuador that broke the first week in August. It was a big one. Killed a few thousand people and buried a couple of cities. Yeah, it was big, all right. I even felt the reverberations in Cairo, 8,000 miles away. It started the night I'd left Chris, my bartender, in charge of the tambourine because I had some business across town. When I got back about two and looked in the front door, I saw there was trouble inside. My bartender, Chris, was swinging from the ground at a big guy who was taking it all and delivering in turn. They moved from the side of the cafe to the center, turning over a table and chair. When the bottles began to break, I figured it was time to put a stop to it. So I moved in, but not before Chris buried his fist in the big guy's stomach and fell face down on a large suitcase. I guess I'm a little late. Oh, hi, Rock. What happened? I don't know. This guy moved in with his suitcase. Started up the stairs to your room. I said it was private, but he wouldn't take no. Who is he? Toby Barker's the name. Toby? Hiya, Rock. Oh, you know him, Rock? Yeah, surely knows me. Port Said, Algiers, Istanbul. Remember, Rock? I remember that when you left Cairo, you took my cash register with you. Yeah? Oh, that, yeah. What are you doing back here? Now, I'll tell you all about it, Rock, but let's go upstairs so I can clean up, huh? Toby wrapped a big paw around the handle of his suitcase, and we went up to my room. He washed up, came back into the bedroom, and flopped on the bed. That's when the conversation started again. <laughs> it's good to see you again, pal. Been a long time, huh? Three years, four years? Something like that. Miss me? Not much. <laughs> yeah. Still sore about me picking up that loose change in your register? Six hundred dollars. It's not the money so much. I just don't like a guy with glue on his fingerprints. <laughs> well, Rock, that's why I'm back. To make amends. Six hundred dollars? Okay, six hundred it is. Uh, I'm a little short right now. Oh, yeah, sure. But, uh... Here's 200 on account. I'll give you the other four in a couple of days. Yes, sir, I'm a new man, Rocky. Turned over that leaf everybody talks about. Hey, see that suitcase there? Can't miss it. Mm-hmm. Samples. I'm a salesman. Kitchen utensils, can opener, strainers, potato scraper. Bring modern mechanics to the oppressed housewife in the Middle East. Why, they'll welcome me here with open arms. A new Caesar conquering Egypt with aluminum. You haven't lost any of your win. <laughs> uh, it's uh, going to be fun bunking with you for a couple of days, Rocky. You staying here? Oh, you wouldn't have it any other way, pal. <laughs> oh, Rock. Yeah. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you, you don't mention it around town that I'm back. I that why you don't want a hotel? <laughs> you know how it is, sport. A couple of debts and people carrying grudges for a long time, and uh, well, I just assume it wasn't newsed around that Toby Barker's in Cairo. Uh, you can keep a secret, my huh, sport. Well, that's how it began. Part two started the next morning. About nine o'clock, I noticed a kid, 14 or 15, standing across the street, bouncing a ball up against a wall. At 11, he was still there, but his arm was tired, and he was just sitting on the curb. One o'clock, he was bouncing the ball again, but I could see his heart wasn't in it. What he was really doing was a watch job in the tambourine. Three o'clock, the kid was still there watching, and I was getting pretty curious. I moved out to talk to him, but when he saw me coming, he started to run. I took out after him. Hey! Hey, kid! Slow down! I'm not gonna hurt you. I just want to talk to you. He kept on running down the Sharia Hakar with me after him. 
But on the corner, he ran into a fat lady carrying a basket of groceries. The kid in a bag of Brussels sprouts rolled on the sidewalk. Two seconds later, the fat lady was picking up her Brussels sprouts, and I was picking up the kid. Why does the boy not watch where he is going? Why did Lad look before he runs into innocent people carrying Brussels sprouts? All right, kid, come on up on your feet. people, the way they raise their children. They raise them to knock over innocent people in the street carrying Brussels sprouts. Uh, he apologizes. Come on, kid, step to the side here. I want to talk to you. Sweat to me. Tell me here. Tell me here. All right, settle down. Tell me here. No le dicen nada. Solamente estaba aquí afuera atendiendo mis propios negocios. Huh? Suéltame, le dije. I'll try speaking English. English, English. Pero, señor, no hablo inglés. No lo hablo. Then try speaking Arabic. Por favor, señor, no lo comprendo. Suéltame, por favor. You were watching my tambourine. Why? Por qué, kid? What's going on? No sé de qué hablo. Le dije que estaba atendiendo mis negocios. Suéltame, señor. Suéltame. <laughs> All the kid could speak or would was Spanish. But when someone cases my place for a full day, I could figure something was up and I wanted to know just what. So I let the kid go, figuring to follow him. He wound me through a couple of streets and ended up at a small hotel called The Dynasty. He disappeared into room 212. A few seconds later, I knocked on the door. Open the door and you'll find out. Come in, Senor Jordan. We've met? No, Senor, but I know of you. He's all right. Come in. Este es el hombre, amado. Yo sé, Kiko. Haga el favor de dejarnos ahora, huh? Yes. My brother, Kiko. He speaks nothing but Spanish. So I see. He has left us alone so we may talk. You know, I'm not sure whether he led me here purposely or I made it myself. It was not his intention to bring you here, but now that you are here, Senor Jordan... It is only right that I answer your questions. Something's going on, lady. Your brother's been staked out of my tambourine all day. It makes my customers nervous. We have no intention to make your customers nervous. We have no intention either to cause you concern, but in truth, something is going on. Who are you, anyway? My name is Andrea Rios. I'm new to your city. I have come with purpose. From where? South America. The country of Ecuador, the city of Ambato. Ecuador? There's been a lot about Ecuador in the newspapers, the uh, earthquake. Yes. I left shortly after that. Well, you've come a long way. But what's my tambourine got to do with it? Only that under its roof resides a strange man. What? Your guest, Toby Barker. Oh. I ask you, Senor Jordan, I ask you to send that man away. Why? He will bring you trouble. What kind of trouble? What does that matter? Trouble of a kind you will not like. I ask you, please, Senor, send him away. Send him out of your building. You, uh, you always carry a gun? What? That bulge in your purse isn't a bottle of cologne. I ask you, Senor Jordan, once again, send that man out from under your roof. Be wise and do as I say. There is something between the two of us that can wait no longer. Something between the two of us that soon must explode. Well, I had the feeling it was a simmering pot. Ingredients? One Toby Barker and a dame from Ecuador. It looked like I was going to be the one to get hit with a flying lid. I went back to the tambourine and spent a couple of hours getting ready for the supper crowd. Chris was racking up a few bottles behind the bar. My cook was scratching around the kitchen with a mixmaster. And I went into my office. Toby Barker was there looking out the window. Oh, hi, Rock. I didn't hear you come in. Looking for someone? Uh, yeah, Rocky, yeah. A friend of mine's coming to see me here. 
I didn't think he'd mind. Uh, he's going to sign up for a large consignment of my kitchen utensils. Then I hit the road. This friend of yours, a uh, woman? A uh, woman? From Ecuador, named Andrea Rios. Andrea Rios? What'd you find out about her? Things get out. Yeah? Got a cigarette? Is she the friend you're waiting for? No. What have you got to say about her? Oh, nothing, Rock. Just some dame, you know how it is. <laughs> Met her in Ecuador, in a little world. A little hard to shake, that's all. <laughs> you know how it is with women's sport. I know if they're chasing a man, they don't bring along their little brother. Oh? He's here too, huh? That's right. And she's got another little companion that spits lead. Yeah. She's the... Impetuous type. What is it, Toby? I told you, Rock. Just a little boy meets girl stuff. Nothing important. You're lying. No, Rock. No, really. Hey, look. Now, just forget about it, huh? I'll be out of your place in the morning. Listen, Toby. I'm not in the market for trouble. I run a restaurant here. I got a pretty good rep, and I don't want it messed up. If you've got a thing on with that girl, take it someplace else. But, pal, if you don't... Come in. The bartender said that I would... Oh, Mr. Barker. Yes, uh, come on in, Shima. I've been waiting for you. I am most sorry, Mr. Barker. The traffic kept me. Hashim Bay, Mr. Jordan. Oh, most delighted, Jordan Bay. I have heard of you. Most of Cairo has. How do you do? Mr. Barker, I have little time. My client leaves the city soon. He's most anxious we consummate our dealings promptly. Oh, sure, Hashim. Uh, Rocky, you mind... Uh... Stepping outside? You want me to leave my own office? <laughs> you don't mind, do you, Rock? For a pal? Uh, all right. Make it fast. I stepped out of my own office, and Toby tripped the lock behind me. It was pretty clear that Toby was using my place for a rendezvous with Hashim, and I wanted to know what it was all about. I pressed my ear up against the door, but what I heard was something I didn't expect. <laughs> waited a moment until it sounded safe, then unlocked the door and moved inside. Both Toby and Hashim were hugging the floor, still very much alive. The bullets had come from outside. I moved to the shattered window and looked out. Scampering down the street was a long-legged dame with a flock of black hair. She was stuffing something back into her purse and it figured to be the gun. And when she went by a lamppost, I saw who she was. Andrea Rios, late of Ambato, Ecuador. <laughs> Monty Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. If we should just happen to sneak over to the Joneses for a minute, I bet we'd find Mrs. Jones and her friend Betty talking in the kitchen. Honestly, Betty, I've never seen anything like it. Why, the way Ken polished up his plate was a caution. Oh, that's wonderful. And you can surely thank your lucky stars for the magic combination, so to speak. <laughs> well, I'll agree with you on the magic part. The magic of Del Monte ketchup. I've never tasted such marvelous flavor. Really, Mary, you should try that more often. Why, Ken... <laughs> that must have been quite a meal Mrs. Jones fixed. And ladies, chances are you'll find the family asking for more and bigger helpings, too, when you serve Del Monte ketchup. That tangy, rich tomato flavor really perks up low-cost foods, gives them a zestful flavor that satisfies those hearty appetites. Yes, Del Monte catsup has a distinctive flavor all its own, a flavor you'll like. So next time you make up the shopping list, include Del Monte catsup. 
It won't be long before you'll join Mrs. Jones in saying... Del Monte catsup is wonderful. I've never tasted such marvelous flavor. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, Adventure with Andrea. watched Andrea around a corner. When I turned back from the window, Hashim Bey had already picked himself up and was scampering out of my place. And Toby Barker was dusting off his suit, quite relieved that the bullets landed in my wall. I decided I wanted more words with a South American bombshell who was turning my office into a skeet shoot. I caught up with her back at her hotel room, and I don't think I was too gentle as I snatched her purse away from her and opened it. What are you doing? I'm a gun collector, lady, and I want yours. I've got it. Three bullets fired, and they're all on my wall. I missed. I'm a little touchy about guns going off in my place. I told you. I told you, I told you, I told you. Get that man out from under your roof. Maybe I don't want her. Maybe he's a friend of mine. I don't like being told what to do with my oh, friends. What are you screaming about? I missed. Listen, Miss Ecuador, maybe you don't understand. We got laws in Cairo. Assault with a deadly weapon, intent to kill. And we got jails, too. And they got plenty of room. Well, do not just stand there. Call the police. Maybe I will. Oh, call them, call them, call them. What do I care? All right. What are you waiting for? Get me Captain Sam Sapaya, Cairo police. Call, call them, call them. What does it matter now? I mean. I talked to Sam and he said he'd be right down. Then I hung up and turned back to look at Andrea. She had slumped down on the couch and was beginning to cry. <laughs> Ah, some dames can turn it on like a water faucet and use it to get things their own way. But this was different. This was real. At least it looked like it. It wasn't a loud cry. It was soft, but tight, like it was bound up in ropes. And it was a deep cry. It made a fellow wonder. After a while, she came out of it. Senor Jordan. Yeah. What are the jails like? You won't be fond of it. I did not suppose I would. Do you uh, have anything you want to tell me? As much I could say. I'm a good listener. But to what avail, Senor Jordan? I have tried to kill a man. I have followed him halfway around the world with one. There's a reason. Reason. But his reason for one person is not always for another. Try me. I'm living in Amato, in Ecuador. My father is a most revered and wonderful man. He's the proprietor of a fine art shop containing beautiful and expensive relics of early Ecuadorian culture. Then I bring to live with us a man whom I love and have married. He is a man whom my father considers a spoiler he does not approve. But he bends to the wish of his daughter whom he loves very much. The new husband is there. As time goes, I hear that my husband is disreputable. I refuse to believe. But then the moment comes when I can no longer shut my eyes to what is about me. It comes when the earthquake comes to Ecuador. The buildings of Mabato are shattered. The people are buried in the rubble. The children scream for their mothers in misery is all over. It is then, as the buildings quiver and the stones fall, that in front of my eyes, unaware I am there, my husband kills my father with a blow on the head. Still... And then disappears. 
the law can do nothing. First, it is troubled by the misery of the earthquake. Then it sees no proof. As far as it is concerned, my father was killed by falling rubble. The daughter knows differently. The daughter saw, and yet she has no proof. Now the burden of justice lies with her. It's a lot of story. How do I know it's true? You do not. Well, what's your plan now, Andrea? It depends most strongly upon the words you utter to Captain Sabaya. Yeah. But in fairness, I must say to you, though justice has failed once, it may still be attempted again. <laughs> yes? Captain Sabaya, the Cairo police. Oh, come in, Sam. You called me, Jordan? Yeah. I came as promptly as I could. Well, what do you wish of me? Uh, Sam. Yes, I'm waiting, Jordan. Andrea, will you do one thing for me? Don't do anything for a couple of hours. Give me a chance to think a little bit. I have waited so long. I can wait a little longer. Jordan, would you come? Come on, Sam. I'm outside. I'll see you soon, Andrea. Jordan, I'm a most busy man. I, I receive an urgent telephone call from you requesting me to arrive as promptly as possible at room 212 of the Dynasty Hotel. Yeah, I know, sir. This I do. When I arrive, I find you and a beautiful woman alone in a room. The atmosphere most dense. I know, Sam. I see that you are disturbed, that the lady has been crying, that a gun lies on the bed. And when I ask of you the trouble, you tell me nothing. I'm sorry, Sam. Later, I'll tell you all. Jordan. Beware that you are not carrying too much upon your shoulders. Beware that you are not making decisions which are beyond your province. Yes, Sam. I'll watch it. I left Sam and went back to the tambourine, trying to figure all the while if what Andrea had told me was true. I went up to my room. Toby wasn't there, but Chris was. Oh, hi, Rock. Just picking up a few of Toby's empty bottles. What's the matter? You look like you've been through an egg beater. Where's Toby? He left a few minutes ago. He had a phone call. Said he'd be back soon. Ah. Uh -huh. What are you looking for? A suitcase. Did he take it with him? No, it's over there behind the couch. Uh, I'll take a look inside. He said there's nothing in it but his samples. Kitchen equipment. Well, let's find out, huh? Now, that's kitchen stuff, Rocky. Orange squeezer, knives. Mm hmm. Let's look at the bottom layer. What is it, Rocky? Looks sort of odd, doesn't it? It's filigree. Gold, silver, or platinum. They're Ecuadorian ornaments of some sort and pretty expensive. I don't get it, Rock. What's it mean? It means part of her story's true, anyway. Whose story? I'll tell you about it later, Chris. Look, uh, Toby will be back pretty soon to sell this stuff to Hashim. You'll have to do something for me. I want to see a lady from Ecuador. I told Chris what I wanted him to do, then went back to the dynasty to find Andrea. The desk clerk said she'd gone across the street to get a sandwich. I found her munching on some devil egg and sipping black coffee. You came back sooner than I expected. I got an answer sooner than I expected. What do you mean? I went through Toby Barker's suitcase. Oh, gold and platinum filigree, eh? My father's. That's right. Worth quite a bit of money. $50,000 to $100,000, depending on the buyer. Even now, Toby is trying to close the deal with an Egyptian named Hashim. Then he will leave the contract. I have not much time. Andrea. Yes? He'll tip his hand. 
Sooner or later, he'll tip his hand. Will he? I'm trying to tell you to lay away your gun. I know about it. He's not worth it, Andrea. If he did what you said he did, he's still not worth your killing. You do not have to go on. My mind is made up. It has worked within me for so long that there is nothing for me to do but to kill him. Andrea. He is an evil man the law cannot touch. He killed my father. And that death is laid at my feet. Rocky, I have no other course but to do what I have planned. She sprung up out of the chair, pulled away from me, and moved out of the place fast. In a minute, she was lost in the crowd on the boulevard. And I found myself wanting to keep her from killing more than anything else. But it takes two to make a killing. The one with the intent and the victim. If one couldn't be stopped, maybe the pigeon could be removed. I figured I could beat her back to the tambourine, so I called a cab, told him to step on it. A little while later, he dropped me off just in time to see Hashim Bey scurry out of my place with Barker's sample case in his hand. He was moving toward a black sedan on the corner, I suppose, to his waiting client. But I was interested in Toby Barker. I found him in the kitchen, a roll of bills in his hand. Oh, hiya, Rock. I'm just going to leave this for you. The rest of the 600 I owe you. Old Hashim and I closed the deal. I turned over my uh, kitchen utensils to him, and he turned over his cash to me. You better start moving, Toby. I said you better start moving. I'm going. <laughs> What's the big hurry? Did Hashim open the suitcase before he took it? No, there wasn't much time. He had someone wait. What? You'd better move. For more reasons than one, pal. You're turning into a rabbit in a greyhound race. <laughs> what are you talking about? Andrea's on her way over here, and she's got a new clip for a gun. Oh? <laughs> Thanks, Rock. Thanks, pal, for warning me. I'm not thinking about you. Well, then... I don't I... want her to kill you, that's why. I don't think you're worth it. You don't want her to... Oh, no. Oh, well, there's one for you. <laughs> That's rich, pal. The rock going soft from my wife. Now back door, Toby. Use it. <laughs> sure, sure, Rock. I'm going. Oh, hey, wait. What about your money? Forget it. I don't like the way you got it. Your debt's canceled. <laughs> Suit yourself. Go on now. Make it fast. There's a plane for Athens in 30 minutes. So long, soft touch. I'll use your 400 after... At the shot, Toby grabbed his stomach, and that's when the rest of them came. He toppled over in his face, and by the time he hit the ground, he was dead. I looked up the alley to see where the shots had come from. All I saw was a figure standing there with a gun in her hand, Andrea Rios. And it looked just like it was mission accomplished. <laughs> In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. When you get right down to it, folks, the best cooking authorities are you homemakers. You ladies who, day in and day out, have to turn out appetizing meals and yet stay within the budget. That's quite a problem, as you know. Here's how one experienced homemaker, Mrs. J.H. Tandro of Oakland, California, solves the problem. She's a Del Monte enthusiast, been cooking for 24 years, and she said... I've solved the problem of meals with appetite appeal the easy way, with Del Monte tomato sauce. Well, I've been a cooking fan for a long time, and Del Monte has always been a staple on my pantry shelf. You see, I make a great many stews, meat pies, and fish dishes, and I just can't imagine them without that good, rich tomato flavor. And Del Monte tomato sauce is so easy to cook with, anybody can use it. Thank you, Mrs. Tandro. Yes, Del Monte tomato sauce is so easy to use. Just pour it over and cook it in. Then sit back and enjoy a real flavor treat. 
for tomato flavor at its best, buy the original tomato sauce. Buy Del Monte. Back now to Rocky Jordan. Well, that was the picture. Toby Barker cut down by a flood of bullets, and standing up the alley from him, Andrea Rios, a gun in her hand. It had been a long haul for her, but it looked like she'd finally done it. As I saw her leaning against a building, beginning to sob, I felt sick. I hadn't been able to get the pigeon away in time. Well, I started up toward her. As I got closer, I could hear her sobs. They cut into me like knives, and I began to feel sorry for everybody who got into something they had no way out of. Andrea. I, I heard him groan. I saw him grab his stomach. Come on now, get hold of yourself. He fell forward on his face. Andrea. Did I do it, Rocky? Did I finally do it? Give me the gun. And now that it is done, am I more happy? Andrea. Andrea, listen to me. This gun hasn't been fired. All the bullets are still in the clip. You didn't kill him, Andrea. Indeed, she did not, your... Sam! Since I answered your telephone request at the Dynasty Hotel, I've been keeping a close watch on you. Uh, I don't get it. You didn't cut Toby down. I've been outside the tambourine. A moment ago, Miss Rios came and waited by that lamppost. Then I saw this man, Toby Barker... Emerged by your back door. I saw Miss Rios reach into her purse for a gun. I moved to stop her, but before I could, shots came from another direction. Mr. Barker was killed by a man named Hashim Bey. Hashim Bey? Sergeant Greco and I have apprehended him. Even now, he is in the police car. He has said that he killed Barker because Barker had double-crossed him. Oh, uh, Jordan, of this suitcase, do you recognize it? Sure, that's Toby Barker's suitcase. It... It originally had the gold and platinum filigree in it. Originally, yes. That is what Hashim paid for, but what he got was... Well, observe. I shall open the suitcase. You see? The original contents, the filigree, had been removed. And it had been replaced truly with kitchen utensils. And all of them are stamped with the mark of the cafe tambourine. Jordan, would you please explain to me when you pull the switch... Well, Chris had done what I had asked him to do Remove the filigree and replace it with plain old utensils for my kitchen I was trying to save the filigree for Andrea Rios Because I knew Toby was getting ready to peddle it right away I had no idea the switch would make Hashim throw bullets at Toby But it did, and, well, that was that I turned the filigree over to Sabaya And after the inquiry, it would go back to Andrea Rios that's about all, except that Andrea got her justice without putting her own foot in it. Later, Andrea and her brother Kiko went back to Ecuador. Well, who knows? Maybe someday I'll take a trip over there myself. For the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and canned tomatoes. And Del Monte tomato juice. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Larry Roman and Gomer Cool 
stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jay Novello as Sam Sabaya and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arunt. Remember you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station. And the story is The Nile Runs High. If you haven't tried Del Monte pickles, you don't know how really good a pickle can be. Sweet pickles, sour pickles, dill pickles, every kind you like, and every one crisp and full of flavor. Del Monte pickles, more good products from the brand that always puts flavor first. Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob welcoming you to Boston Blackie from December 5th, 1945. And of course, still, the greatest organ music you will ever hear in any radio show, ever. So enjoy the show. Blackie, it's good to see you. I was hoping you could come. All you had to do was urge me with one invitation. <laughs> oh, Mary, this is Roger Masters, our host. Roger, oh. Miss Mary Wesley. Oh, this is a real pleasure, Miss Wesley. I've heard about you. Oh, since I've known Blackie, I'm afraid a lot of people have heard about me. Oh, Blackie has a way of getting around. Yes, everything, including me. Now, Mary, you know Don... At the sound of the next loud noise, one subject will be dropped. <laughs> Say, Roger, huh? is that your brother Harvey at the piano? Oh, yes. Under that delightful coat of tan is my very undelightful brother. He's just back from Georgia. With Georgia. Uh, I beg your pardon. Will you say that again, please? He's back from the state of Georgia with a bride-to-be by the name of George. Oh. She's the redhead uh, to the left of the piano. What number bride-to-be is she? When I run out of fingers, I can't count. <laughs> but you'd think it was true love by the talk they give each other. <laughs> Must be great listening. Yankee drool and southern drawl. Oh. <laughs> Say, I haven't seen our hostess. Well, there should be down by now. I can't understand what's delaying her. Perhaps a diamond. She always fusses when she wears it. Is the family diamond really as big as they say it is, Mr. Masters? Miss Wesley, the Masters diamond is the biggest thing in our family. And wearing it is about the biggest thing we do. We're rather useless lot, you know. I don't know that at all. Stick around for 40 years and you'll find out. Say, Roger, what kind of a party is this? Look who's coming. Oh, I don't know that man. Well, I do. It's Inspector Faraday. All right, everybody. Quiet here. Huh? Stop that piano. What's the matter, Inspector? Don't you like music? Blackie, what are you doing here? Enjoying myself till now. What brings you here, Inspector? What brings me here? Just that the master's diamond is missing. 
What? And Mrs. Masters is upstairs murdered. What? No. And I'm going to stay here till I find out what this is all about. When's this stone cracker coming? Joe will be here pretty soon, Pete. Ain't it a shame, ain't it? And what a shame. So we gonna bust up this rock and cut somebody in besides? We either cut Joe in to bust this rock, or we bust rocks for a bunch of years. But ain't it a shame, ain't it? What you using for a brain, Pete? This your master's diamond is as easy to spot as a gorilla in a birdcage. It's gotta be busted up. Is it really on a level that he can slice it in one whack, huh? I've seen Joe work. First he looks at the rock... All which ways. Second, he throws light on it, like he was looking for something on its insides. Third, he draws all kinds of lines on it, this way and that way. Then he puts it on a table in a little cup. Yeah? Then he's got a hammer in one hand and a chisel-looking thing in his other hand. And he puts the chisel on top of the rock, and he goes tap with the hammer, and right there in front of you, that one big, beautiful diamond, is a lot of little rocks. Ain't it a shame, ain't it? It ain't a shame when you gotta eat. There's money in your pocket because you sold those little rocks. Yeah. And nobody can trace nothing to us because old lady masters never saw us. Yeah, Pete. We did this one right. We grab what we're after and nobody sees us to tell the cops what happened. Hey, Lemmy. Huh? What's that extra? I don't know. Open the window, huh? Yeah, sure. Shouting at me. Close the window quick. Yeah, sure. Hey, this is bad. Damn's crooked, huh? Pete, you gotta do something. Yeah, but what, Lemmy? But why? I don't know. I don't know. I gotta think. They'll get us for murder, Lemmy. Unless I get an idea first. I gotta. I gotta. Who do we search next, Rollins? And let's make it snappy. I want to get out there in the living room and question that whole bunch together. Blackie's next on the list, Inspector Faraday. Blackie, huh? Good. Get him in here. Okay, Blackie. You're next. How are you this evening, Wallace? Okay, Blackie. I don't have to ask you how you are, Faraday. I know. As confused as ever. Uh, don't bother to make wisecracks, Blackie. And don't bother to sit down. Around you, everything's a bother. Quiet, Blackie. I'll start with your coat, Blackie. Uh, you're not starting with anything, Rollins. We're not searching this guy. No, but... Faraday. Are you sick? Here, Rollins, start with my coat. Uh, the only starting we're going to do is you. Out of here. What? I don't get this, Faraday. You catch me at the scene of the crime. I admit to you that I was upstairs about the time of the murder, and all you want to do is get rid of me. Now, is that being smart? Uh, there's a law against all I want to do, where you're concerned. Concerned? Say, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I'm plenty concerned. Here I am in, in a house with a body, and, and you find it first... Say, how did you do it, Faraday? Well, the upstairs maid phoned me, and I told her not to say anything to anybody. While you were still downstairs... Hey, it's none of your business how I found the body. Now get out of here. Are you sure you don't want me to give Bronze my coat? I said get out of here. Oh, please now, Faraday. Be yourself for a change. I admit I was upstairs for a few minutes before the maid found the body. I know that. I admit I'd like to own the master's diamond. I know that. Well, then why don't you think I'm a first-class suspect? Because you're much too smart about this whole thing. You don't deny anything, you don't offer any alibi. You don't even try to get away from me. So you don't figure in this case at all. I don't figure, and you can't. 
All right, Farley. Have it your own way. I intend to. Now, get out of here. Say please. Please. Get out of here. <laughs> so long, Faraday. Uh, for my money, you can make it longer than so. <laughs> Very good, Inspector. Very good. Gosh, Inspector, you shouldn't have let him go. Rollins, you think I'm a sap? He wouldn't have that diamond on him. He'd, he'd laugh at me for weeks because we didn't find it. Don't you think he had anything to do with this? Put two men on detail to follow Blackie wherever he goes. I not only think he had something to do with this, I think maybe he did it. But, Blackie, what I'd like to know is, why did Inspector Faraday let you go? Maybe he's getting smart. You mean it's a trick? Either a trick, or he knows that this time he has nothing on me. Oh, darling, what does he ever have on you, really? <laughs> That's a good question. Come in. Oh, Mr. Boston Blackie? Yes? Oh, Blackie, she's so beautiful, I wish you'd said no. I'm just so sorry to put you to all this bother, Blackie. But I've just been so anxious to meet you. And I'm just so distressed. And I just know you can be so much help to me. So? Oh, you're Georgia Aiken, aren't you? Harvey Masters' fiancé. Uh-huh. I saw you at the Masters' party. Uh, Miss Aiken, this is Miss Wesley. Hello. How do you do? That's a wonderful suntan you have, Miss Aiken. Oh, I'm from the South. Maybe you all can't tell it, but I am. That's why I met Harvey. We've just come back from Georgia where we had so much fun. Oh, won't you sit down? Oh, you're so kind, but no. I just dropped in because I wanted to meet the wonderful Boston Blackie. I've heard so much about you, and, well, I thought... You thought? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess maybe I'm in the way here. Oh, dear me, no. What I want to talk about is the thing that's happened to Mrs. Masters. And I'm afraid it's going to mean trouble for poor dear Harvey. For Harvey? Why? Well, the police will find out he inherits all his mother's money. But what about his brother, Roger? All of it goes to Harvey. He said so, and he ought to know. That's one reason he made up with his mother. Well, I don't think there's anything to worry about. The police believe that Mrs. Masters was killed by whoever stole the diamond. I don't think they'll ever suspect Harvey. But they'll find out so much more than Harvey when they begin to investigate. He and his mother hated each other. He's going to be in so much trouble when these things get out. And you're so wonderful, Blackie. I wish you'd help. You say Harvey hated his mother? Yes. He'd been away for six years because of her. And they didn't speak for years before that. But she was giving last night's party for him, wasn't she? Yes, this was supposed to be a kind of a reunion. But it wasn't doing so well. Even before poor dear Mrs. Masters was killed. Excuse me. Come in. Is Georgia Aiken... Oh, there you are, Georgia. Well, Harvey, darling, what are you doing here? Looking for you, dear. There's been a call from police headquarters, and we have to go down there for a few minutes. I wanted us to go together. Mother's maid said you were coming down here. Oh, Harvey, darling, this is that so wonderful Boston Blackie. And this is Miss Wesley. That not so wonderful Wesley. Hello. How do you do? What brought you up here, Georgia? You're going to need help, Harvey. You know it. Yes, I know, dear. Miss Aiken says you're the sole heir to your mother's fortune and that you and your mother were more or less enemies. She thinks that that's cause for you to worry. Oh, I don't think it is, do you? No, frankly, I don't. But the police will probably investigate you. Well, that's quite all right with me. I expect it. Well, if you'll excuse us, Blackie and Miss Wesley, we have to get to headquarters. Of course. Goodbye, Blackie. You've been so wonderful. Goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Wesley. Goodbye, Miss Aiken. It's been so nice to meet you. 
Goodbye. Bye. So long. Harvey, darling, are we really going to police headquarters? Listen, you. Harvey, darling, you're hurting my arm. What's the idea? Who told you to go to Blackie about me? But I only want to help. Harvey, you're hurting me. Now, listen, you. Open your mouth about me just once more to anybody and I'll shut it permanently. <laughs> Now, back to Boston Blackie. Two jewel thieves, Lemmy and Pete, steal the fabulous Masters diamond. When Mrs. Masters is later discovered dead, police believe she was killed by the robbers, despite the fact that she had had a long-standing quarrel with her son, Harvey, recently returned from the South with his fiancée, Georgia Aiken. As we return to our story, Lemmy and Pete, who stole the Masters diamond are in their hideout. Oh, Lemmy, ain't you got an idea yet? Shut up, will you, Pete? How can I think when you talk to me all the time? But, Lemmy, when they find us with a diamond, they'll get us for killing that master's dame. Wait a minute. I got it. Yeah? What are we going to do, huh? Get rid of the diamond. What? After going to all that trouble to grab it? Oh, Lemmy, no. The only way to duck getting wrapped for murder. Gee, Lemmy, and that diamond was going to net us a pile of dough. Wait a shame, ain't it? I know exactly how we can get rid of it, too. I guess that's good. But it's such a beautiful hunk of ice. Ain't it a shame, ain't it? Be careful what you say on the phone, Mary. Faraday or Rawlins are either listening or waiting downstairs to nail me when I go out. I'm sure of it. I'm also sure I'm going to stay right here in my apartment until Faraday solves this case. Well, I'm going to be home for the rest of the evening, darling. Call me if anything happens. Sure, Mary. With Faraday alone on a case, a lot is probably going to happen, and I hope it does to him. What's the matter, Faraday? Can't you think of anything to say? Well, I guess the inspector is downstairs, after all. Oh, there's the door, Mary. I'll call you later. All right. Night. Night. Come in. I thought you were in the building, Faraday. That telephone line was as open. Well, who are you? My name's Lemmy. You Boston Blackie, huh? I'm Boston Blackie, huh? You got the right joint, all right, Pete. Come on in. I offer most of the invitations around here. Habit, I guess. Close the door, Pete. Just stand there quietly. Yeah, sure, Lemmy. We got a little favor to ask you, Blackie. How little? Oh, it ain't gonna be no trouble to you. Just the little delivery job, that's all. Delivering what? To whom? And just how many years in jail were involved? How about making sense? Okay. The master's diamond. Does that make sense? Properly handled? That can make dollars. But it can't be handled. It's too hot. You have the master's diamond? Yeah. My pal has a gun in his hand. In a couple of minutes, we ain't gonna have the diamond no more. You're gonna have it. I'd rather have the mumps. Come on, take it. Here. Well, this is a fine thing. I get held up and forced to take something. Now that I have the diamond, what? Get going. Where? Out the door, down the elevator, out onto the street. We'll be right behind you. When I get out on the street, what do I do? Take the diamond to headquarters and turn it in. Oh, fine. All Faraday has to do is to catch me with that diamond. Get going. We lifted that rock, Blackie, but we didn't bump that dame. So you're taking it to headquarters to take the heat off us. You see, Rollins, the chances are Blackie's got the diamond and will try to sneak it out of his apartment. 
That's why we're waiting here for him. Now, if he's on this elevator, Rollins, you grab him. Right, Inspector. Here's the elevator. Now, get ready. All right, Blanky, stand right where you are. Come on, Pete, let's go. Faraday, well... Hold on to him, Rollins. Hold on to him, Rollins, for what? The master's diamond. Faraday, quick, grab those two guys going out the front door. I'm not... And anyone but you. Don't be a sap, Faraday, grab them, quick. I don't want them, all I want is you. Uh, with the master's diamond in your pocket. It's not in his pocket, Inspector. Of course, I just took it out. So, you stole the diamond and killed Mrs. Masters, eh, Blanky? Faraday, you're under delusions. Maybe. But I bet you'd like to change with me. You're under arrest. Look, Faraday, before you get me all the way down to headquarters and have to let me go, be a smart guy and listen to me, will you? You don't have anything to say, Blackie. I caught you with the master's diamond, and that's that. Well, go ahead and tell me. I need a good laugh. Well, laugh at this, then. Those two guys who stepped out of the elevator with me and beat it out the front door when you and Rollins held me up gave me the diamond. You expect me to believe that? I don't expect anything of you, Faraday. But if you'll send out an alarm for a couple of guys by the name of Lemmy and Pete, you can get a confession out of them. I'll give you the description. I suppose you think these two guys killed Mrs. Masters, too. No, as a matter of fact, I'm sure they didn't. That's why they brought the diamond to me. I was supposed to deliver it to you. Okay. When we get to headquarters, I'll send out a general alarm and pick these guys up. Why take me to headquarters, then, if you believe I didn't steal the diamond? Because I want you to see me work. I've got an angle on the murder that doesn't include you. I feel sort of slighted, as a matter of fact. Who are you after? Roger Masters, one of the victim's sons. What's his motive? Money. He's his mother's sole heir. It's that simple. It's not so simple as you think, Inspector. I heard Harvey Masters was the sole heir. Oh, well, I read Marilyn Masters' will just a little while ago. She cut off Harvey without a cent. Well, in that case, maybe we ought to go see him. That's a pretty good motive for murder. This is Harvey's room here. The maid said he went to bed hours ago. I never objected to waking anybody up, Blanky. Oh, well, I know that. Let's go in. Wait. I'll turn on the light. Uh Uh-oh. Quick, let's cut him down. He may not have been hanging very long. That chandelier doesn't look too strong. What's the matter with you, Faraday? Can't you see he's dead? Yeah. Yeah, I guess he is. Well, this ought to prove three things, Faraday. What? My friends Lemmy and Pete didn't kill Mrs. Masters. Rogers didn't kill her. But Harvey here did. Too bad it doesn't. It doesn't? Then why would Harvey commit suicide? Look closely, Faraday, and you'll see that he didn't. He's been murdered. Huh? That stool there, look at it. It's only a foot high. And Harvey is at least two and a half feet or three feet off the floor. Hey, you're right. I'm going to grab Roger Masters. He killed his mother and now his brother. And I'm arresting him before he kills somebody else. I do declare, Blackie. It's just so thoughtful of you to drive me back to the Masters' mansion at... This most distressing time. Well, I was sorry you had to go to the morgue to identify Harvey's body, Georgia, but Faraday insisted. Well, here we are. Won't you come in? No, thanks. Well, I'll take you to your door. I'll get out on your side, too. All right. Here, give me a hand. Here. You're all right, aren't you? Yes, of course. Thanks to you. 
I'm just so grateful. I, I don't know what to do. Well, if you need anything, let me know, will you? You've been so kind. You sure you won't come in? No, I have to get back downtown. And I don't think you're going in either, unless you let go of my hand. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. I just wasn't thinking. Well, goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Aiken. When you get back to Georgia, your state can brag about one more peach. Well, well, how is the so wonderful Boston Blackie? Oh, cut it out, will you, Mary? But Georgia thinks you're so wonderful, and I think you're so wonderful, too. Well, that's fine. Don't you want me to think you're that wonderful Boston Blackie? Do you have to like me with an accent? <laughs> Stop it, will you? I'm trying to think. About Georgia? I can remember her without thinking. That's what worries me. Say, um, when did I pick this stuff up? What stuff? This tan powdery stuff on my fingers. Well, let's see it. What is it? What? What's makeup? Makeup? I think the shade is suntan. In fact, I'm sure it is. That's funny. Darling, you didn't pat sweet Georgia on the cheek, did you? Will you please forget about her? That wonderful suntan of hers. I'm beginning to think it came right out of a bottle. No, it didn't, Mary. Her tan is real enough. I didn't get this makeup on my fingers from her un- unless she had it on her hands. Well, why would she have suntan makeup on her hands? That, sweetheart, is a wonderful question. Would it be just as good as it would be if I said it with a southern accent? Southern, western, a Yankee. The accent around here is on murder. Pardon me. I'm going to see, Miss Georgia. The state? No, the girl. But if my hunch is right, I think the state is going to see her. You might as well talk, Roger. You did it, didn't you? We know you did it, Roger. No, no, Inspector Faraday. It didn't. You did. You killed your mother, you killed your brother. You know you did it, Roger. Talk. I didn't. I tell you, I didn't. Your mother told you the diamond was missing. You saw your chance. You killed her. No. You figured the thieves would be blamed. We know the thieves didn't kill her. You killed her. No, no. We have the thieves locked up. They confessed to the robbery. Not, not to killing your mother. We know they're not killers, but you are. Now, talk. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. We know you killed your mother. Because you killed your brother to cover up. You were upstairs when your mother missed the diamond. What do I have to do to make you leave me alone? Talk. Admit you killed your mother. And your brother Harvey. No. Yes. No. Yes. 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 All right. Yes. 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 I killed him. Well, it's about time. You killed them both, didn't you? Yes. Yes, I killed them both. Good. Rollins, get Masters out of here. Okay. Come on, Masters. Okay. Now I get Blanky on the phone. I want him to know that when I want a confession... I get one. Never mind the phone call, Faraday. Huh? Blanky, how did you get in here? Oh, it was very difficult. I opened the door and walked in. Well, for once, I'm glad you're here. Now you know I can get a confession without any help from you. You should be very glad I'm here, Faraday, because you got a confession from the wrong person. Yeah? Yeah. Here's your killer, Georgia Aiken. How do you know? Do you want me to tell him, Georgia, or do you want to tell him in your charming drawl? I don't care what you do. All right, I'll tell him. Faraday, your theory about how Mrs. Masters was killed is correct. Only it was Georgia who was upstairs with Mrs. Masters when she missed the diamond. So she killed Mrs. Masters, realizing the robbers would be blamed for the murder. That's crazy. She had no motive. Money was a motive, Faraday. Harvey told Georgia he was inheriting his mother's fortune. Georgia wanted Mrs. Masters out of the way, so Harvey would inherit it. Then why did she kill Harvey? Money was the motive again. With Harvey dead... 
she would inherit from him. Now I know you're out of your mind. For two reasons. Harvey was hanged. How could a girl handle a big guy like that? And how could she inherit from a guy she wasn't even married to? I'll answer the first question first, Faraday. This little Georgia Peach is not exactly a dainty little girl. Hmm? I checked and found she was an athlete a few years ago and still is a champion tennis player and swimmer. Yeah. Yeah, I guess she is pretty strong at that. But how could she get a rope around Harvey's neck without getting banged up herself? She probably drugged him with sleeping tablets. After he was knocked out, it was a fairly simple matter to hang him. Yeah, I guess so. But what about question two? How could she inherit from a guy she wasn't even married to? Look at this girl's hand, Faraday. Hmm? It's beautifully suntanned, except on the third finger left hand. There's a ring of white around it, isn't it? Yeah, like a wedding band was on it. A wedding band was on it, Inspector. Because Georgia and Harvey were married months ago, down south. As his wife, she would inherit from him. Even you ought to know that. But that white never showed on her hand before this. No, it was covered with suntan makeup. But I took a hand to help her out of the car a few hours ago. Some of it came off her fingers. Here, Faraday, take her. She's all yours. Well, lady, how much trouble am I going to have with you signing a confession? I'll sign anything. What do I care? I admit I killed him, and I'd do it again for a chance at the same amount of money. The funny thing is, Georgia, Harvey lied to you. He wasn't getting a cent from his mother. What? And Roger got it all. So let this be a lesson to you. Next time you murder for money, make sure you kill the right people. <laughs> And still, the greatest organ music you will ever hear in any radio program is Boston Blackie. This one, of course, is from December 5th, 1945, The Master's Diamond. Enjoy that. Enjoy the organ music. And I'll, and I'll see you after this. Hey, everyone. This is OTR Rob welcoming you to Barry Craig, confidential investigator. As the NBC announcer says, hey, if you like Barry Craig, this is, I know this is the only the third episode, but if you like Barry Craig, please email me at otrrob50 at gmail.com. And in the heading, put BCCI, and I will read it. Thank you. Enjoy the show. And don't sit on the popcorn. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator. One thing about a corpse, you can be sure, folks. Everybody's always trying to palm it off on the next guy. The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan. In another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. A wise man once said a good detective's brain is in his feet. I guess he meant footwork solves more crimes than brain work. Ah, oh, mister, my aching metatarsal. In my business, you rest your feet every chance you get. Any raised surface. Desk, table, the friendly lap. Off go your shoes and up go your feet. Ah. On this occasion, I had my feet high off the floor in a tavern. 
downtown along Bail Bond Row, waiting for a bail bondsman named Soloway. Sam Soloway. We had a date set up. Soloway poured his troubles out to me on the telephone. A rogues gallery pinup boy, Joey Florio, had skipped, leaving Soloway holding the bag for bail bond money. A cash loss big enough to give any bondsman a heart failure. $50,000. My feet were asleep when Soloway finally showed. A sad-faced little guy who looked as if he'd like nothing better than a good cry. Mr. Craig. Soloway, pull up a chair. I, uh, I kept you waiting. Through heartache, stardust, and melancholy baby. Huh? The, uh, shoot box over there. It's been crying for half an hour. You look mopey, Sam. Mopey? Somebody should have strangled me before I became a bail bondsman. Craig, you've got to catch me a rat. Joey Florio? Joey Florio. He jumped bail, yes. But he's still here in New York. What makes you so sure? You know, one thing, the police have every exit covered. Also, on the grapevine, I was tipped off that Florio stuck around to wind up his business. Close his horse parlors, collect all the cash he can, like a like a man going away for a long time. Going where? Europe, somewhere. He's going to catch a plane for Europe. Just like that, huh? A fugitive racketeer under indictment, breezes into an airport, all smiles, and climbs aboard a plane. Oh, he has nerve, Joey Florio. They took nerve to become a high muck-a-muck of the racket. Exactly what do you want of me, Sam? Catch Joey Florio. I'll give you 10% of the bond money you saved me. You're a sucker for hiring me on the side. You've got the whole police department working for you for free, gratis. I feel safer with one man working for $5,000. Just how do you expect me to cover the airports? I've only got two arms and legs. Well, hire people. Just show me an expense account. Cover the airports and then cover my funeral. Because if I lose $50,000 on account of a rat like Florio, I'm positively going to shoot myself through the head. Hear that song, Sam? Mm. Sad, huh? So what? It's my nickel. The song takes me back, Sam. Way back. My first long pant. The girl named Gloria. Fine time for reminiscences. Blonde curls down to her shoulders. We had a portable Victrola coin in a rowboat on Prospect Park Lake. Moon dust. The record we were playing was moon dust. Craig, please, you've got a job to do. Oh, maybe I should have married her, Sam. Better you remain the bachelor. A shamus in a world of hoodlums. How long can you live? Why take a nice girl and make a widow? Oh, Sam, come off it. You sure loused up a memory for me. I covered the airports to keep Soloway, the bondsman, from attending his own funeral as threatened. I hired a half a dozen stooges for ten dollars a day and smoke. Get on your stations, men. It's a twenty-four hour watch, so load your pockets with K rations and carry a change of socks. The guy who comes up with Florio gets a two hundred dollar bonus and my love. <laughs> Chance in a million, but I kept it going for a week with as much action as a nice box salesman at the North Pole. Then I gave up. Salloway, this is Barry Craig. That tip you got on Florio was a dud. 
I'm transferring out as of now. I'll send you a bill. Uh-uh. Cocaine's no good. Neither is throwing hysterics. Keep my men squatting in the airport any longer, and they'll start charging us rent. Goodbye now. I was through with Joey Florio's disappearance. That is, I thought I was through with it. I found out different exactly two hours after I crossed Soloway off my list of clients. The discovery began with me dragging up the ramshackle staircase in the midtown fire trap I had an office in. I'd about negotiated the walk-up when a scream stopped me dead in my tracks. At the top of the landing, I got a look at the screamer. It was Polly, the old Polish cleaning lady, complete with mop and buckets, staring banjo-eyed at a corpse curled up at her feet. A corpse in a merchant marine get-up. It took long minutes for Polly to find her voice. This man... This corpse. He come upstairs and knock at your door, Miss Craig. He knock once, twice, then the other man. The killer? He sneak up behind and me. And stabbed him. Which way did the knife go? Uh, not down, not with me on the staircase. Up. He go off to the roof. Stick around, I'll be right back. I was right back, empty-handed. The roof led to skinny eight exits in a four-block square. A perfect setup for a killer making his escape. I dragged a stiff into my office and then talked to Polly some more, getting nowhere. Now tell me, the knifer, what did he look like? Bad. A bad face. I see that face and I know that man no good. Sure, sure. There were character bumps on his face and you read them. But draw me a picture, huh? Height, build, how he was dressed, some identifying marks, maybe. Oh, he's short, man. Yeah? And his hat pulled down yeah. over his face. I never forget he stabbed the sailor, then he stabbed him again. And again, and then again, yeah. Four separate wounds. I've counted them, but uh, give me more description. He's short, man, and he's hot over his eyes. I never forget. A description to fit every second guy you pass on the street. I shoot Polly, and before calling the police department and making a clam bake out of it, I checked the dead man's pocket. There was nothing in them. Nothing to identify him. Just three crumpled dollar bills. Some silver, pocket knife, chewing tobacco, a key ring, and a clipping from a newspaper gossip column. Clipping about me. Confidential investigator Barry Craig, latest recruit in citywide search for Joey Florio. It is rumored that the missing mobster is worth 5000 to Craig, if he catches him. <laughs> Picking my brains over why an unidentified merchant seaman would come see me and get murdered doing it when the phone rang. Craig speaking. I got information for you about Joey Florio. That is, if you're interested. Who am I talking to? General Graham. What kind of a guy? Look, I like knowing who I'm talking to. Then you're not interested in what I have to say. All right, I'm interested. What about Florio? He's at the Freedom Hotel on the Bowery. Making out he's a bum. Whoever said he wasn't. Well, uh, if you were to get over there right away. Why right away? Florio's all set to move on to somewhere else. If you really want him, it's gonna be right away. I see. Tell me now, General, sleeping up in that tomb on Riverside Drive like you've been, how'd you know I was interested in finding Joey Florio? That's been in the papers. I read it in the column. And why are you so interested in double-crossing Florio? For a cut in the five G's you're going to collect. Oh? How will I know who to pay a cup to if you don't identify yourself? I'll be around to collect when you catch Florio. Better hop 
shoot on a double. Florio's not going to sit around waiting for you. Come on. I didn't go for the phony tip on where to find Joey Florio right away yet. Ten years as a confidential operative, and you don't jump at bait like a steel in Central Park. You don't swallow everything an anonymous jerk disguising his voice on the telephone tells you. It's figured. Somebody wanted me out of my office, and right away. I stuck around to find out why, in a closed closet with my office lights out. I kept the closet door ajar just enough and waited for development. I didn't have to wait too long. There was a knock on my door. <laughs> Somebody was satisfying himself that I was really out. I watched the door open and close, and the flashlight played slowly around the room. A lady caller it was. Blonde heartthrob in ballerina slippers and a page boy bob. I watched her bend over the court, open his shirt, Reach in and unbutton a pouch he wore around his middle, something I'd never thought to look for. I had the pouch out of her hand in one grab. I'll take it, sister. No. He went right to it, huh? Like you knew exactly where he kept it. Give it back. The way you frisked that corpse. No nerve. No squeamishness. You could hire out to an embalmer. Give me the pouch. Suppose we see what's in it together, beautiful. Real chummy-like. Oh. Well, ship's paper, huh? Stacy Crocker, signed to the Star of Sharon. Dates freshly stamped like... Uh-oh. Pardon me for taking my eyes off you. Now. Hand those papers back at once or I'll cheat. Oh, don't, please. I'm fond of this suit. Your papers? Here. They're all yours. I ought to kill you. For identifying the stiff before you could get at your gun? Who killed him? I don't know. Now try for four dollars. Who was your stooge on the telephone with me a half hour ago? I don't know what you're talking about. For eight dollars now, really concentrate on this one. Where's Joey Florio? I never heard of Joey Florio. Baby, let's not kid. But I'm not... Who is Joey Florio? And why should I know anything about him? Skip it. You going to shoot me before you leave? If you try to stop me. Oh, I won't. Sound a bright. I'll pick you up some other time when your gun isn't showing. You'll know who I am and just where to find me. Yeah, I'll know who you are by your picture. My picture? What picture? <laughs> a joke. I'm only kidding. Goodbye now, beautiful. If you're going. <laughs> but I wasn't kidding. Blondie'd had her picture taken the minute she'd come waltzing in the door. An electric eye camera tooled into the far wall and trained on the door. Open my door and get photographed. I'd be looking her up later. First, I wanted the corpse removed from my premises. A gift from me to the good police lieutenant, Trav Rogers. After that, I wanted to know more about Stacy Crocker and the star of Sharon. Police headquarters. Lieutenant Trav Rogers, please. Tell him it's his mortician friend calling, Barry Craig. <laughs> My interview later aboard the Star of Sharon, anchored off Pier 20, was short and sweet. The Captain Jameson was positive that he'd never seen or heard of a Stacy Crocker. I'm sorry, there's nothing I can tell you, Mr. Craig. Nothing whatsoever. 
Uh, Stacy Crocker never shipped on the Star of Sharon, and to the best of my knowledge, was never assigned to this letter. Well, he had Star of Sharon papers on him, Captain. I saw them with my own eyes only an hour ago. Well, I can't answer for that, except that there's lots of bogus papers around. And lots of bogus talk. What? Lots of bogus talk. Why, you... Uh-uh. Try throwing me over the side, and we'll both play polywog in a drink. Thanks for nothing, Captain. of Sharon on my way to police headquarters, somebody decided it was time to discourage me a little. A high-powered rifle shot from somewhere in an empty row of dilapidated buildings along West Street. It breezed close enough to my skull to give me a head cold. I got moving on the double. I had better luck at police headquarters. Trav Rogers had wormed into the case as snug as he could get. About that corpse, Craig. Oh, the corpse that uh, Ivy gave? <laughs> the next time you send a metal negative box of candy. <laughs> you were saying? Daisy Crocker was a professional informer. He'd come through with vital information for a fee. Then Crocker came to me with information to sell. I'd say so. Got any idea who murdered him? No, not yet. You mean you're not telling? I mean I don't know. What about the girl, Trav? Does the picture match anything in police files? I suppose I'm a fool to tell you. Yes, it matches a picture filed with us when she applied for a nightclub hat checker's license. A nightclub hat checker's license? Why the skeptical look? She wore a ballerina slippers. You know, capiccio. No heels. Low to the floor. So? So I'm a little disillusioned. And a little crazy. I have a license application here. Her name is Myrna Wilson. The address she gave us is the Hotel Mohansic. What's your, uh, position in this case, Craig? The usual 100% cooperation with the department. I'm your boy, and I don't cost you a cent. Jolly silly, of you. Who brought you into the case? Joey Florio is bail bondsman, Sam Soloway. I was to get 10% of the bond money if I beat the department to Florio. Does the murder of Stacy Crocker and this Myrna Wilson have to do with Joey Florio? If I said yes, I'd only be guessing. Well, I'll have to tear myself away now. Uh, keep in touch, Barry. Let's not compete. Sure, I'll keep in touch. Any corpse I meet, you get first introduction. Oh, Trav. Yes, Craig. The Star of Sharon. When does she sail? Midnight tonight. I suggest you search her from stem to stern. Just in case the disappeared Joey Florio does tie in with the murder of Crocker. And just in case Florio picks the Star of Sharon as his way out. We have searched the Star of Sharon. While you had your feet up on my desk and ordered my office around, I had 20 men go over every inch of the Star of Sharon. Ah, clever man. I'm going to tell a taxpayer about you. Blondie was next on the agenda. The residential dump, the Hotel Mohansic. A lobby full of nice old ladies clacking their dentures. The date room clerk tending strictly to business. The business of taking numbers, that's. The dump reeked with refinement. If Blondie was surprised to see me, she didn't show it. As a matter of fact, it looked like she'd expected me and prepared for it. Soft lights and sweet music. There were hors d'oeuvres on a tray. Cordial glasses set around a colored decanter. And the smell of incense everywhere in the room. Is the party for me? If you want it to be, very good. You're uh, not surprised I came right to you? No. I knew you would somehow, sooner or later. You see, I made inquiries about you. Your reputation. What did my boosters say? That you're a bloodhound on the fence if you get things done. My ears are blushing pink. 
What are you softening me up for? I need a friend. A boyfriend? A champion. How about a taxi? No, I wouldn't be fool enough to underestimate you like that. I'm in desperate trouble. You're not kidding. Let's get rid of the musical background, huh? That merchant seaman was very, very dead. I had nothing to do with his murder, I swear. You tried to prevent my identifying him. Yes, but only that. Why only that? Stacy Crocker was an informer. He'd gone to your office to disclose certain confidential information. I already know that. Confidential information involving me. Involving you and what? Uh, robbery. I used my job as hatchet girl to play lookout for jewels worn by wealthy patrons. Here, I'll show you. Where? Are they real? Very real. Rings, brooches, tiaras, loot. How did you manage to steal them after scouting them? You don't look like a society raffle to me. I, uh, had a partner. And the lucky sidekick? Of Tex Kirby. I'm telling you the truth, Mr. Craig. Uh, Barry. Barry, huh? We're really getting cozy now. But let's hear Kirby's version of it. Hear Kirby's version, but how... But where is Kirby? Watch how I materialize people, beautiful. Okay, Kirby, you can come out of the kitchen now and join the party. There you're smart, Greg. I learned to add two and two a long time ago in night school. I figured Blondie would have a chaperone hidden somewhere in the woodwork when a great lover boy like me came calling. I asked Kirby to be here in case you insisted on questioning him. Sure. Okay, I'm insisting. What about these jewels, Kirby? They're like Myrna told you. Me and her was working in together, stealing them. And you didn't kill Stacy Crocker? No. I only knew he was on his way to tip you off to our racket. So he could cut in on the insurance reward you'd collect. Well, so much for that. Now tell me about Joey Florio. I never met the guy. But you telephoned me, Florio was at the Freedom Hotel on the Bowery. I telephoned him? Let's not get cute now, Kirby. Okay, it was me. I wanted to get you out of the way so Myrna here could frisk Crocker. How'd you know Crocker was in my office at all? And in the, uh, defunct state he was in? I tailed him to your place. I was downstairs waiting when a cleaning lady came running out into the street to tell the whole neighborhood that somebody shoved a knife in a merchant sailor upstairs. Smart boy, Kirby. You've got all your answers worked out. Well, it's the truth. You've cooked up a cute story, you two. But it's as phony as Blondie's eyelashes. Are you always so cynical, Mr. Craig? No, I believe everything I hear. But only on the eighth day of the week. Nice try, kids. I hope Joey Florio appreciates what you both tried to do for him. Florio? But we told you repeatedly... I told you there was no use coming clean with Craig. Clean as last winter's unwashed socks. Do I walk out of here standing up, or do you two connivers have other plans for me? Maybe I have got other plans. Then for safety's sake, maybe I'd better take certain precautions. Bring him to, beautiful. Murder in Kirby's big try and big lie on behalf of Joey Florio was as easy to read as the ABC on a kindergarten blackboard. They'd outsmarted themselves the way phonies always do. I'd been fed a melancholy lie in a room lousy with monograms. Monograms on the sofa pillow, on the tablecloth, even on the silk lounging pajamas Blondie's been wearing. The monogram? J.F. J.F. for Joey Florio. It all boiled down to one simple truth. I didn't have to be the seventh son of a gypsy to figure it out. 
Florio planned to leave justice. Salaway the bondsman and the USA behind him. Not by plane, but on the star of Sharon. Stacy Crockett come to sell me that when somebody stopped him. Then Kirby and Blondie did what they could to stop me from identifying Crocker. From tying Crocker in with the star of Sharon. I was in a doorway along the waterfront at a quarter to midnight, 15 minutes before sailing time. There was a cop assigned by Trav Rogers on fixed post, watching the star of Sharon until it sailed. Everything was as quiet as a graveyard for a while. Then the fireworks began with a rush. First came a scream. A woman screaming her head off around some dark corner. Cop on detail went running toward the screen, waving a service gun. <laughs> I stood pat in the doorway. It was a decoy trick. It had whiskers on it. If it wasn't, even a woman getting herself murdered somewhere couldn't get me away from the star of Sharon. I played it right. With a cop diverted, a car rolled up to a fast stop right in front of the pier. I watched the guy jump out and the car shoot away. I didn't have to guess who. Bail jumper Joey Florio, catching a freighter at the last minute. He was running for the gangplank when I fired a warning shot. Florio, stop where you are! Florio stopped cold and I went across to get him. Somebody had other plans for Florio. Somebody with a stuttering typewriter. <laughs> When I finally got over to Florio, he had more holes in him than a Swiss cheese. The police took over. The last I saw of Lieutenant Rogers, he was hitching a ride on the morgue wagon. I caught a cab to the home of Sam Soloway, bail bondsman. I had enough for a cruise around the moon and back coming to me, if I could sell a corpse to Sam. Hello, Sam. Greg. This time of night. I never sleep. Too many guns going off. Still want Joey Florio? I still want my $50,000. Is it still 10% for me? Bargain's a bargain. In cash, right away. Right away? Why, Craig, it's after midnight. I know you keep that much cash on you. Guys get themselves in trouble with the law at all hours. I've seen you come running to post-cash bond in the middle of the night. (laughs) Craig, you're a regular fox. All right, Cash. Here. Fifty hundred dollar bills. Now, where's you got Joey Florio? I turned them over to the morgue wagon. The morgue wagon? Florio was machine gunned to death less than an hour ago. What? Florio was murdered? Yeah. But he isn't worth crying over, Sam, so dry your tears. But she's worth crying over, Sam. Is she? That girl in the picture on your desk. Who is she? My daughter, Hannah. Hannah? Huh. I know there's a half-check girl calling herself Myrna Wilson. You didn't really expect to get away with it, did you, Sam? No, no, I guess not. All I wanted to do was see Joey Florio dead. And you sure did that. I didn't have to be too bright to know that you had some hidden motive in bailing out a bad risk like Joey Florio. I wanted him out of jail, in the open, but I could kill him. So you hired me to lead you to him. Before he either got away or the police steal him off from your vengeance. Then you followed me around while I looked for Florio. Yes. He turned my daughter's head. He dishonored me. I wanted to kill him myself. I'm sorry, Sam. Sorry you were fool enough to take the law in your own hands. Uh, you want your 5000 back? Huh. 
Keep it, Craig. You earned it. You're a good investigator. The trouble you're in, you'll need it, Sam. So I'm giving it back. <laughs> that much money, I get fat and lazy. Besides, I didn't really earn it. As it turned out, I didn't catch up with Florida. Get your hat, Sam. On our way to police headquarters, we'll hire you a good lawyer. Maybe it won't go too hard on you. For exterminating a rat. Well, you rest your feet in my business every chance you get. Any raised surface handy. Off go your shoes and up go your feet. Ah, you drowse off wondering about things. Things like the bittersweet memories of an old song can stir up. A golden girl named Gloria and a portable Victoria in a park rowboat. You wonder about the crazy anger that changes a sad-faced little bondsman into a murderer. Holloway. Poor sad-faced Holloway. How will it go when I'm in court, you wonder? And you worry. You worry. Good night, folks. See you next week. You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, Corpse on Delivery, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story of the borrowed knife, about which Barry Craig has this to say. One thing about marriage, folks, many are made in heaven, but there are others that are unmade by the forced application of the vow, unto death do us part. See you next week, folks. Featured in the role of Myrna was Anzi Strickland. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Don Pardo speaking. Now it's Meredith Wilson's music room on NBC. way I understand it, uh, this person came into your home and stole all of your radios. Every radio I had to my name. Mm, including transistors? Yes. Well, he left me one earplug. I'll say that for him. Mm, well, did he take anything else? Just uh, the radios and a couple of pieces of fruit. I see. Well, what... A uh, banana and two cadota figs. Mm, I don't deny him the fruit. No. Are you and your husband going to replace the radios? Well, we'll have to. Arthur is late for work because he has no radio to keep reminding him of the time and traffic conditions. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to keep me company while I work around the house. I can imagine. We have a ten-room house. We had a radio in every room. Uh, then he stole all ten radios. Eleven. Eleven. He also stole the car. Who listens to radio? Only 150 million people.
forced bullet tore through the flesh on my left shoulder. There was nothing between him and me now except the tree. I stood there waiting. There were two more shots left in the gun. I caught the glint of the gun barrel in the moonlight, and then the granddaddy of all firecrackers blew up in my face. The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. This is your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to Michael Shane, that reckless red-headed Irishman, back at his old haunts in New Orleans, in another transcribed episode. We call it The Hate That Killed. Seventy-five, eighty-five, eighty-six, eighty-seven. $3.87. Michael, you old capitalist, how do you do Mr. Shane, Mr. Shane, you've got to listen to me. You've got to help me. I do. Oh, Sanderson, you look better in your newspaper pictures. I thought I made it clear I wasn't interested in your case. But on the telephone, you wouldn't let me tell you what I want. I've got plenty of money. I'm not interested in your money either. Right on that door, it says Michael Shane, private detective, doesn't it? Well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It cost me two bits a letter, too. You said something about somebody wanting to kill you. Yeah. Why don't you take your troubles to the police? I can't. I don't have anything to tell them. You think I'm a crank, don't you? No, I think you're very charming, Mr. Simpson. Just keep your voice down. I know. I know a weak, dissipated body and a mind that's crazy half the time. But if you lived one day, just one day, in the atmosphere I do, you'd be shaking just like me. I tell you, I tell you, death is in the air. Yeah, yeah, sure. What's the matter? That scare you? I suppose you like divorce cases. Alimony, spying on women. I'll bet you like spying on women. That's enough, Buster. Goodbye now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, I... I tell you, I, I'm going to die. Not in my office. I'm busy. Beat it. You don't, you don't believe me. Look, look, just tell me one thing. Yeah? One thing. Why did the insurance company refuse to sell me any life insurance? From where I sit, you look like a mighty bad risk. No. No, I've had an examination from my personal physician. There's nothing wrong with me. That is a matter of opinion. They wouldn't tell me the real reason. That was just an out. All right, so what? Just find out, that's all. Just find out why they refused me. Well, it'll cost you 20 a day in expenses. Oh, here's my address. You, yeah. You'll find three houses on the estate. Mine's on the uh, on the right of the big house. I and... know all about you, Sanderson, and your famous father. He died the other day, didn't he? Yes. Yes, he's dead. And he wasn't my father. Huh? He was my stepfather. That's why I used the name of Mark Sanderson. But his corruption lives on like... Like something rotten inside you that you can't get out. Like something in your blood and your heart. And you can't tear it out. Yeah, that's cute. You ought to set it to music. Are you always this jittery? Why shouldn't I be jittery? I, uh, you have some water? Water? You mean you drink water, too? Yes, sir. My, my medicine, my, my capsules, you know, my nerves. You'll find some water down the hall. You'll, you'll let me know tonight, huh? You'll find out? Yeah, yeah. I got a pretty good hunch why they refused your policy. You do? Why? Why? Because they probably don't expect you to live very long, Mr. Sanderson. We'll return in a moment to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the hate that killed. He was a fancy client, all right. 
Mark Sanderson, stepson of the late Gregory Larson. He was still young, maybe 30, but all his stepfather's filthy millions could never make a man out of him or give him anything decent out of life. He sat in my office, slobbering with fear, his eyes dull and empty. I don't need clients like that, but the insurance company angle intrigued me. Why had they refused Mark Sanderson's policy? Well, I turned toward my phone, feeling like a Hollywood agent doing his best for a client he didn't have much hope for, and dialed the life insurance company. I'm sorry. You'll have to speak to Miss Bennett. It was the old shoveler. Miss Bennett was maybe the 30th vice president in charge of bathtub accidents. We cannot give out that information, but if you speak to Mr. Forsythe, he's the branch manager. All I had to do was mention Mark Sanderson's name, and there'd be a long pause on the other end, and then... No, sir, we can't discuss our policy with you, Mr. Shane. The matter is closed. It is entirely within our own discretion whether or not we choose to insure Mr. Sanderson's life or anyone else's. No, I wasn't getting anywhere. Nobody was going to tell me the real reason they'd refused Mark Sanderson life insurance. I got Dave Sizenby on the phone. Dave used to be a private eye and then went to work as a detective for the insurance company. He said he'd see what he could do. I waited about ten minutes and then... Jane speaking. Mike? Yeah, Dave. It's hush, hush. Hey, what's going on? You're beginning to make me think Sanderson really has something to worry about. I don't know. All I could tell you is that it might be a good idea to see a lawyer by the name of Olmsby. Who? Olmsby. O-L-M-S-B-Y. In the Lee building downtown. That's all? No, one more thing. You, uh, didn't get the information from me. Philip Holmes, the attorney at law. The office was easily as old as Holmesby himself. About 70. Dried up like a prune. His voice was like parchment, dry as dust and ready to crack. You're a shrewd young man by the look of you. But if you have in your head the good sense to avoid unnecessary trouble, you will desist from inquiring into the affairs of the Larson family. Well, that's as pretty a turn sweat as I've ever heard. It's excellent advice, Mr. Shane. As for your question, I am not at liberty to divulge any information. You mean to me? To you or anyone else. I realize Mark's hysteria has caused you some trouble. And as the family attorney, I'll be glad to pay. Smooth. I didn't think I was going to take this case, Mr. Olmsby, but you know I'm getting more and more interested. Then you will get yourself more and more involved. Well, that's my business, Mr. Olmsby. Mr. Shane... You must anticipate a short life. Could be, Mr. Olsby. At least a happy one. So long, Pop. Well, I found out a few things before I went out to the swamps where the old man had dug in after he retreated from the New Orleans reform movement. He'd built a large house for himself, a smaller one for his second wife and stepdaughter, and another for his stepson. He kept his cousin Agatha with him. Seems he separated from his immediate family, kept tight hold on them, but didn't want them too close. They'd finally died two days ago after a long illness. I went down there to his little kingdom in the swamp and got a funny feeling. A little chill, even though it was a warm night. Little rolling wisps of fog. Night sounds that had a death knell in them. There were lights on downstairs in the old man's house, but I headed for young Mark Sanderson's place. It was dark, and I thought I'd mosey around the house to the back when somebody was playing hide-and-seek with me. Okay, Uh, take it easy. 
Who is it? Just a friend, pal. A word to the wise thing. All right, I'm listening. You're not wanted around here. Who doesn't want me? Nobody. Okay, I get the message. Why don't you guys ever listen? This is for your own good, pal. I don't want to have to use this blackjack. You made a mistake. Never tip your mitt. You asked for it, bro. Yeah, you move pretty fast for a big guy, but not fast enough. All right, I got the blackjack now. Come on, get up. Yeah, now beat it. Shane, you surprised me. Must be something to it, after all. The bigger they are. Well, that was quite an exhibition. Oh, are they wearing revolvers with dinner dresses this year? Who are you? Mike Shane. There's a flagstone path here. Let's get around front, out of the shadows. You must be Celia, Mark's sister. But do you, uh, you have to keep pointing that gun at me? Yes, for a while. Well, anyhow, I'm glad to... Oh. Yes? Oh, my. What's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a woman before? Not very often like you. Is that really the color of your hair? My hair has been red since the day I was born. You've got nice shoulders. Oh, I like yours better. You're going to catch cold in that outfit. You have what so many men lack these days. A sense of virility and strength. Well, that comes from eating all my vegetables. What are you snooping around here for? I was looking for Mark. Oh. You're the detective he hired. Check. Now you do interest me. Who's the man you were fighting with? Don't you know? No, I don't, Mr. Shane, isn't it? That's right. Mark and Aunt Agatha and Mother are in the house. Oh? The reading of Stepfather's Will tonight. Uh, Mr. Ernsby, the lawyer. May I come along? Why not? Don't go in. They've already started. So what? I want to hear that word. Who's in there? They all are. I don't want to interrupt. I'll open the door. Quite a gathering. Yes. Mother, Aunt Agatha, Mom. Hold it. Listen. All my property, real and personal, owned by me at the time of my death, to that person from among my four heirs, who outlives all others. Whether it be my cousin Agatha, my stepdaughter Celia, my dissolute stepson Mark, or my neglectful wife Margaret. These goods shall be bequeathed, therefore, only after the death of my last heir but one. And in the event my inheritor cannot by law inherit, then these goods shall pass to Philip Armstrong, or his heirs and his well, That's it. Let's go in, Mr. Shane. Okay. Oh, we waited for you, Miss Celia. We didn't know where you were. Thank you, Mr. Elmsby. Mr. Shane, did you hear that? Did you hear? There's your answer, Mark. That's the reason your insurance was refused. Yes, he couldn't stop hating. It's so obvious, isn't it? Dear father wants us to kill one another off. Mother. Yes, Poor mother. He couldn't leave you alone, could he? Even after he died. Oh, my mother, Mr. Shane. Mrs. Larson. And my Aunt Agatha, father's cousin. Yeah, apparently, cousin Agatha was bored by the proceedings. Oh, and Agatha's always taking catnaps. Agatha! Agatha, wake up! Maud, stop shaking her. Oh, she doesn't want to wake up. I. 
Aunt Agatha. She, she's not moving. She, she's not breathing. For a very good reason. Your Aunt Agatha's taken her last catnip. She's dead. We'll return in a moment to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the hate that killed. I didn't want to take the case in the first place, but it was the insurance angle that got me. Why was Mark Sanderson's insurance refused? I couldn't get any information from the insurance company. I couldn't get it from the lawyer Olmsby either. But then I found out what it was all about. The insurance company must have got wind of the terms of the old man's will. <laughs> and what a will. Old Gregory Larson's wife and Mark and Celia and his cousin Agatha, all of them were heirs in a sort of ten little Indians routine. All his money to go to the last one to stay alive or to lawyer Olmsby. But the old man wanted them to kill each other off. It was that simple. I wanted a few words with my client, Mark, and I waited while Sergeant Lavery went through his routine with him and then decided to bust it up. I want protection. I'm a taxpayer. I don't care what you have to do. Put me in jail if you want to, but I demand down, protection. Sanderson. You'll blow a gasket. Where do you fit in here, Shane? Well, like I told you, Sergeant, this is my client. I suppose now you're convinced someone is going to try to kill me, Shane? I had a talk with your sister, Celia, Mark. You didn't tell me you lived here a few days before your stepfather died. Celia and I came here just before he died. But it didn't mean anything. You heard his will? Yeah. Uh, Sergeant. What? Why don't you lock him up? Maybe jail is the safest place for him. Okay. Speak to Denton inside. Yes. Yes, I will. I will. All right, Shane. Your client's taken care of. You can go home now. No, I think I'll stick around, Sergeant. Why? You think there's going to be more killings? Well, now, Sergeant, don't you? I was curious about Margaret Larson, Mark's mother. Why hadn't she been with her husband the last days of his life? Why had he called Mark and Celia, not her? The more time I spent in this atmosphere of death and hate, the more jittery I got. Margaret Larson was sitting in her living room. A low fire crackled in the fireplace. That was the only light in the room. She sat erect in an old, creaky rocking chair by the fire. A light glinting on her dark brown eyes that were just a little too bright. When will it stop, Mr. Shane? As long as I can remember, it's been like this. The fear, the hate. I don't remember anything else. It's never been normal. His hatred touched all of us. That horrible, sick man inside his house. Never going outside. But you felt him all the time. Well, you once thought enough of him to marry him. That was my mistake. He hated you more than the others. Yes. Mr. Shane. Yes? How did Agatha die? It was poisoned. What kind of poison? I don't know yet. What about Celia and Mark? What's going to happen to them? Well, Mark, by his own request, is in jail or on his way. Jail? Yeah, he said he wanted protection. Oh. And Celia, she's the kind who can take care of herself. Hey, look, I'm getting the willies or something. Can't we have some more light in here? I... What's the matter? Mr. Shane. You know what? In all the years I've spent in this swampland, I've seemed to develop an extra sense What of... are you trying to say? There's someone in this room. I don't hear anyone. You aren't supposed to. What? Oh. The sucker for a left hook. My pal was a warning. Don't move, pal. Don't even blink your eyes. I got a gun. I'm not getting too close to you. Come back for a rematch? I, uh, I better answer the phone. You better not. 
You. Yes. Answer it. Hello? Yes, Sergeant. This is Mrs. Lawson. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Sergeant. What is it, Mrs. Lawson? Mark. Isn't it funny? I, I can hardly feel anything. It's, it's Mark. Poison? Yes. The same as Agatha. Where? In his car. He stopped to take a drink. There was poison in it. The same poison that killed Agatha. <laughs> all right, Shane. This is all very touching. Come on, let's go. No, wait, just I a minute. Let's go. I'm getting out of this place and giving me the creeps. Mrs. Larson, tell Celia about Mark. She's in danger. Tell her. That's just so you'll know it's loaded, Shane. I'm sorry to spoil your rug, lady. Well, Shane, I won't aim at the rug next time. He was smart. He kept me at arm's length. The way he handled me, you'd think I had the plague. He was so calm and so careful, I began to worry. Give me the nervous guys. Give me the guys who think they're tough. I can take care of myself with them. But this bird knew exactly what he was going to do. He acted like a trapper who'd caught a wildcat and was measuring him for the kill. We went down the hall and out the rear door. If I was going to do anything, it better be pretty quick. It had turned cold and the damp fog clung to my clothes, got into my nostrils. They took a little path that led into the swamp. Funny, I kept worrying about Celia, about protecting her, not about myself. It was all screwy, sort of detached, almost a dream sequence. Things were happening too fast, and I couldn't stop them. All right, how much farther into this swamp, laddie? We're here. Okay. Uh, go stand up against that tree over there. Here? Right there. It was a big, fat old cypress tree, and I loved it. He thought it was going to be like an execution without a blindfold, but you can tell about these punks. You can tell when their finger itches. Before he lifted his sights, I was around on the other side, and his bullets tore chest high into the big, fat tree trunk. <laughs> Maybe your feet are showing, Shane. I got plenty of time. I got nothing but time. This is the most important thing I ever did in my life, and I'm going to do it right. Now, careful, Shane. I'm starting to come around. Well, it was going to be a dilly. I ducked my head out and pulled it back in. If I counted right, that made four and one in the house. Five. It was starting to edge around. Cut like a knife through the meat on my shoulder. It must have been just a nick because it only burnt. It didn't slug me. Six. He was still edging around, coming a little closer, but he still wasn't taking any chances on my jumping him. A nick, you Shane? Watch it now. I'm going to run. Which side, Shane? That spun me around, caught my other arm. Bullet hit solid. I almost went down. Seven. <laughs> you caught him, Shane. I got a couple of more clips when this one's finished. Here I come again. Who wrote that story about the hunter who wasn't happy unless he was hunting a human being? He must have laughed like this punk. Must have went off his trolley. I caught a look at the weasel's face and then... It was like the granddaddy of all fuses blowing out. I'd heard about people feeling the wind of a bullet, but this wasn't a wind. It was a gentle sigh, a little puff. He missed my nose by a 32nd of an inch. And that was eight. I dashed out after him. But he was on his way, fumbling with his gun, putting the new clip in while he ran. Only he wasn't watching where he was going. He tripped over a log. I pulled up short and I stared. There were several logs laid out in a rough circle, sort of protecting a patch of ground. Ground? Punk had tripped and gone in head first and started to sink. His body thrashed around. The head came up covered with what looked like oily mud, only then I knew what it was. Quicksand. It didn't take 15 seconds. 
and he disappeared. Even if I wanted to help him, I couldn't. He came too fast. I looked and he was gone. A couple of big bubbles came up, slick and moldy. And that was all. On the way back out to the house, my mind was wrestling with angles and worrying about Celia so hard, I almost forgot I had a slug in my shoulder. I could see a light on the second floor of Mrs. Larson's house. I prayed that that meant Celia was still alive. I ran to the front door and began pounding. Uh, uh, Mr. Shane. Why all the commotion? Oh, you're still okay. Uh, how about your mother? She's fast asleep in her bed. Come on in. Yeah. What's that? Oh, her cat must have followed me here. That's good luck, Mr. Shane. And all New Orleans superstition. Let her in. Sit down. Now, what... Oh, Mr. Shane, you're bleeding. Yeah, I almost forgot. Here, let's get that jacket off. Okay. <laughs> Easy. Sorry. Now, I'll just tear the shirt open. You uh, heard about your brother? Yes. Mother told me. In a way, I, I think perhaps he's better off. Never was very happy. My stepfather saw to that. Oh. Sorry. I've got to clean it out, you know. Sure, go ahead. Celia, I'm going nuts trying to figure this thing out. Your stepfather hoped you'd kill each other off. He planned it that way. But you and your mother wouldn't fight on that kind of bait. Thank you. The only other answer was Holmesby. He gets everything if one of you are taken care of. I don't have anything on him. It, it won't gel. I'm afraid this will sting a little. <laughs> Oh. There. It's all over until the doctor takes over. Here, have a little of this. It's from my dear departed stepfather's wine cellar. Napoleon Brandy, 1812. Yeah. Don't often get a whiff of anything that rare. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. That was clumsy of me. I'll pour you another. <laughs> Anyhow, that stray cat's going to have a good time. He likes Napoleon Brandy, too. Yes, he does, doesn't he? You know, I think I'll join you. I have a weakness for good brandy. All right. I have a weakness for women who have a weakness for good brandy. <laughs> Here you are, Mr. Shane. I... Mike. Yeah. All right, see. That cat was good luck. It'll be stiff in another few minutes. What? Yeah, that brandy is spiked with enough poison to kill Gargantua. Where'd you get this brandy, Celia? Why, I... I think Mr. Olmsby gave it to me. We'll be back in a moment with Mike Shane and the thrilling climax to our story. Thinking about Olmsby almost sent me off on a tent. The big idea was slow in coming, but it paid off. The whole thing fell into place. It was kind of hard to see all at once. It, it came out gradually. Celia, your mother didn't go into your stepfather's house before he died, did she? She hasn't been inside that house in 15 years, Mr. Shane. That's it. And it's so simple, so so very simple. Hey, hey, let me have that brandy bottle. I'm taking it down to headquarters for a little fingerprint job. I don't understand. I'll be back. I'll explain it to you with gestures. Now, you probably don't know it, but you called me Mike a few seconds ago. That's enough of a start for me. But 
What about Mr. Ormsby? It's a payoff for him, too. It's hard to believe, Shane. There's no other explanation, Sergeant. Ormsby was the only one who knew the exact terms of the will. He'd get everything if the family were all out of the way. Yeah, he had a good idea what would happen. And he decided to wait it out. That's why he hired that, that character to get rid of me. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Almsby didn't want anybody to get in the way of the natural course of events. Yeah. An old man hates so much he can't let it die with him. He wasn't satisfied until he'd fixed it so his rotten touch reached out from the grave. It's still hard to believe, but you can't argue with fingerprints. <laughs> Sure. There was only one answer. The fingerprints on a bottle of Napoleon brandy and the fingerprints on Mark's flask and Aunt Agatha's special milk bottle, they all matched. The plan was simple. He figured all the suspicion would rest on his wife after Agatha and Mark and Celia were dead. Yes, the fingerprints all matched. They were the fingerprints of Gregory Larson. He kept right on killing even after he was dead. There's a moral in all this somewhere. Something about evil turning on the evil door and paying him back. I, uh, I haven't quite figured it out yet, but Sid is a pretty clever girl. I think I'll show her how the other half of New Orleans lives. Take her to dinner tonight and, uh, discuss it. With gestures. Bill Russo again. Our story was based on characters created by Brett Halliday. Our music is composed and conducted by John Duffy, and Michael Shane is portrayed by Jeff Chan. The New Adventures of Michael Shane is a Don W. Sharp production, transcribed in Hollywood and distributed exclusively by the Broadcasters Guild. Next week, you'll hear Michael Shane in another thrilling adventure.